Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast spoiler specials. This one is much delayed, but we hope you'll agree that it's worth the wait. I say that now, we haven't actually recorded the thing. It'll probably be rubbish. Uh, anyway, it is dedicated, of course, to the latest and fourth greatest Star Wars movie, Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi. And over the next couple of hours, we'll be doing a deep dive into episode eight, discussing everything from zombie Han Solo to the Porg orgy that shocked the world. Uh, yes, folks, we're going deep into spoiler territory, uh, Act 3 reveals and all, which means if you haven't, as ever, seen The Last Jedi, stop listening to this podcast, go and see The Last Jedi, come back after having seen The Last Jedi and start listening to this podcast. Oh, yeah. Have they gone? Yes, they've gone. Uh, I'm not doing it alone, of course. Uh, doing talking with me over the next couple of hours are three <laughs> colleagues of such lethal cunning. James Dyer, who Hello. wrote our Last Jedi feature. I, I did. You yes, did, and true. you said hello, I right? I can't deny it. Hello. Yes. Uh, Ian Freer, who wrote our Last Jedi review. Hello. And Helen O'Hara, who has seen The Last Jedi. <laughs> I have, yes. Excellent. No one let me near it. Why? My Force Awakens review wasn't that bad, was it? Yeah. Oh. Take it. <laughs> Take it from me, Helen. I'm I'm allowed in this room. <laughs> yeah. The mother of all terrible Star Wars reviews, but we won't talk about that. Uh, anyway, very excited to have you all here. Um, before we stick our credits in, that's Star Wars version for Tuppenceworth, let's hear from the man himself, writer, director of the film, Ryan Johnson, who I spoke to in December, just before the film came out. I was weirdly the first person he was able to talk spoilers with, and he took advantage of that, having a whale of a time talking about Lots of key developments in the film from Luke, Leia, Rey, Kylo, Death by Hyperspace, and a few other things as well. We only had 25 minutes, but we packed a lot in. Obviously, I wanted to start off with a big question that was in everybody's lips, so please do enjoy us talking about Adrian Edmondson. Here we go. We're delighted to be joined on this very, very special Star Wars The Last Jedi spoiler special by the writer-director of the film, Ryan Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, man. Good, Happy good, good. to be here. I'm going to start with the big one. Yeah. How the heck did Adrian Edmondson end up in a Star Wars film? So, so I had been a huge fan of the young ones when I was in high school, but then uh, Bottom actually was a thing I was a bigger fan of. And I back right out of college, I couldn't get the series, but I found the scripts on the internet. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world, so much so that I actually – filmed the opening scene of the bottom pilot for a student short. <laughs> and then when I was out of college, I made my own like 16 millimeter kind of version of it with my friends. <laughs> I, oh my I just adored it. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of, of AIDS. And I was just the whole time he was on set, I was trying to play it cool. <laughs> he's <laughs> Also, if you just keep your eyes on him during any scene he's in, it's yeah. an t- entirely different movie because he's always <laughs> doing some kind of eye roll or like. Oh my god! Yeah. All or right. Next I'm, time, just keep your eyes on Aid, and he'll. <laughs> I need to check it out because I was sl- lovely, I thought, lovely guy, really good actor. He's a, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. a huge fan of Bottom. I'm surprised you didn't have him hit Hux in the face with a frying pan. I mean, that's. <laughs> That's what you need to do when you have Eddie Hitler on your set. That's... I did during the effects reviews. I would draw like the the Viv like five stars on his forehead and like using my little Wacom tablet. Anyway. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Well, anyway, so... it was great talking on the spoiler. Yeah, that was good. That was, that was fun. That was fun. Good to get it off Sorry, your chest. Sorry, everybody. Oh, thank God. Three years Finally. of secrecy. Uh, so let's get on to what I think people will suspect are the big questions about uh-huh. this film. Uh, the the movie has a a theme about letting the past die. And clearly that is personified in the fate of Luke Skywalker. Mm. And can you talk about your decision uh, uh, with Luke and what Mm. you wanted to 
to do with Luke uh, from, the, from the storytelling point of view? Well, from the very start, I mean, it's there, there is kind of the theme of let the past die, but that's expressed by Kylo very strongly, and to some extent for much of the movie by Luke. That's one of the interesting things I thought to me mm. was that these two opposite poles have come to kind of the same conclusion. And, uh, you know, Kylo's feeling about the way to move forward is to cut yourself off from the past, which is something that, um, you know, it's a rebellious sort of, you know, you know, leaving, it's, you know, running away from your parents' home. Yeah. It's like pushing away from where you came from and cutting it off and saying, I can be who I want to be in life. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, which I, I, I don't know, I, I think a lot of us have done some version of that in their life at some point. And, you know, it's 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 something that uh, it's something that while I can relate to, it's not ultimately where I come down in terms of the ideological argument that I believe in. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I always think if you think that you're cutting off the past, you're fooling yourself, and you're just burying it somewhere where yeah. it's always going to come back. Um, and the only way forward is where Ray actually lands, which is to build on the past, yes. not necessarily to wallow in it the way that Luke is doing with. Is you know the, with the Jedi with Yoda's lesson to him with the Jedi books, yeah, not to just kind of um, wallow in it or or wallow in its destruction or or wallow in its you know just like saying the word wallow, <laughs> uh, but to take what's best from it and build on it and appreciate it and move forward, which is really what Ray's path is in the movie um, to some extent. Mm. So. Uh, so Luke, I mean, it's it's Luke. Luke's journey is kind of an encapsulation of that as well, where um, you know what he feels like he has coming into Luke, writing Luke, writing Luke. The first thing I had to figure out was why is he on that island? Yeah. So, and that's the first nut I had to crack. He's taken himself out of the fight. His friends are fighting and dying the good fight. He's sitting on an island in exile. Mm. I know the Luke that I grew up with is not a coward. He's not sitting out there hiding. So I had to come up with a reason he was there that was, one, active, Mm -hmm. and two, positive. Yes. And I guess three, something that I could genuinely believe I could think if I were in Luke's shoes. Yes. And the thing that I came to that seemed to make sense to me and that I started to – that I – First thing I, th- I I got to that I really believed in was this notion that this notion that he sees kind of this hero worship of him and of the Jedi mm-hmm. as something that is detrimental to the galaxy, yeah. and that he's actually uh, you know that the, the, they've that the, the universe has put its faith in this false god of the Jedi, and they need to basically forget the religion so that they can get back to. God, they can find like the light of you know yeah. the true light can ri- the, the light can rise from a worthier source basically, yes. and because he's the last Jedi and the symbol of that, it then becomes this self sacrifice he has to do to take himself out of it when he knows his friends are dying when the thing he'd most like to do is get back in the fight, mm-hmm. but he's taken the weight of the world on his shoulders by taking himself out of the equation so that the Jedi can die out so the light can rise yes. from a worthier source. Yes. So in his own way, similar to Kylo, he's trying to throw – he's trying to disconnect. He's trying to throw away the past. He's saying, let's kill religion. It's the thing, it's the thing that's messing us up, this right here. Let's kill it. And uh, 
the truth is it's a personal failure that you know it's not religion it's it's his own human nature that's betrayed him you know it's yeah. a personal failure with yeah. kylo and so the end of the movie is him accepting in the same way i described with ray him embracing the part of the past that the present needs which right now is the legend of luke Skywalker. they need something to believe in they need hope yeah. they need that action figure of luke skywalker to grab <laughs> onto they need that you know uh they need that inspiration to stare up at the stars and believe that you can be a hero yes and that's what he does when he comes out at the end mm-hmm. he yes he faces kylo but the whole thing of the stable boy at the end is the for me it's not about him saving 20 people in the resistance. It's about him coming out in this big mythic way, mm. creating this legend that's going to spread through the galaxy yes. of Luke Skywalker with a capital LS. <laughs> so anyway, um, and then once he's accomplished that, then he has – and I wanted this to contrast with Han's death in The Force Awakens mm-hmm. – in that Han's death was, you know, violent and it was mm. a defeat. Mm-hmm. I wanted Luke's death to be peaceful and on his terms. Mm. I wanted it to be a victory. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be he's done this huge grand act that has restored what we said in the crawl he needed to do to restore the spark of hope to the galaxy. And now he, you know, gives him – he, he – does it? I'm re- hesitant to, to put it into words what he does at the end. But he, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is completed. <laughs> yes, yeah. there's there's a there's a moment uh, as he becomes one with the Force. Yeah, um, where he seems to be seeing something in the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you talk about that? Is there, yeah, there's uh, a moment where he sees the dual suns and he's looking yeah. out, and we've never seen two suns over the island before. Oh, okay. And it's the only shot in the whole island thing where you see his two sons, mm-hmm. and it's slightly ambiguous as to whether he's actually seeing it or whether this is a moment of. Mm-hmm. And the idea is physically he's given, you know, set it up a little bit with Kylo's line earlier in the movie where he says, you know, uh, to Ray, you're not doing this. The effort would kill you, even mm-hmm. just to do that yeah. less powerful connection they're doing. Yes. So the notion of doing this new. Um, you know, pro- projection thing, the notion that this would take everything out of him. Yeah. Anyway, but it's it's slightly ambiguous as to whether this is a flashback he's having, whether this is in his mind, or whether mm. he's actually seeing the two sons at the end. Um, yes, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you mentioned the, uh, the, the very last shot of the film there, the stable boy. Uh, and the last shot of Star Wars movies are, is always hugely important. Mm. Uh, there is a moment when everyone's together, res- the resistance is together. Sure. It feels like this could almost be the end, but yeah. you choose to end with the staple boy. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, yeah, and that was a um, that was something I really stuck to. And believe me, we went back and forth in the editing because you could have very easily – I think in the script when I wrote that scene in The Falcon, I actually wrote the words like, this seems like the perfect ending to image to end on, and yet we would – and uh, I touched on it a little when I was when I was babbling about Luke before. It's – to me, it was really important to have that final scene. Um, for me, just personally, it was crucial to have it. Um, because it turns what Luke did from an act that saves 20 people mm-hmm. uh, and that saves you know saves the resistance it's a big thing but it's still a limited thing into 
enact that inspires the galaxy. The yes. notion that if what we're setting up here is, um, you know, obviously some kind of big, you know, thing in the next chapter, the notion of it, it's beyond just. And when Leia says we have everything we need, yes. she's talking about everyone in the Falcon, but she's also talking about what we see next, which yes. is we now have a galaxy which has seen this beacon of hope and is getting inspired to fight the good fight. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, that was that was that was crucial. And the uh, the the fact that we see a force sensitive uh, stable boy mm-hmm. as well is interesting. In this, in, in the notion that in, within the film that Ray's parents, this great yeah. story thread that's been built up in the last movie, is dashed in this one, and mm. they are just essentially, as, as Kylo says, nobodies. Mm. Um, that's very interesting because this is this has long been, and of course Ben Solo is a Skywalker, but this has long yeah. been the Skywalker saga. Sure. But this is about the idea that the, that the Force is awakening, that the Force is rising again, mm-hmm. and it isn't anybody. Mm. Anybody of, of, of seemingly little import can be Force-sensitive. Is that... Absolutely. I really liked that. I mean, the, I went through all the possibilities in terms of who her parents could be. I made a list. I'm just like, it could be this. Where the upsides and downsides could be this. Where the upsides and downsides. And there were two things about this option that um, made it feel right to me. First and foremost, or first, not foremost, but firstly, um, what you said. I, I like the idea that we're breaking out from the from the notion that the force is just this genetic thing that you have to be tied to somebody to have the idea that you know it's the anybody can be president idea um which i which i like introducing the bigger thing i'd say the foremost thing though was just dramatically storytelling wise mm-hmm. um the way i like to put it the, uh you know in the empire strikes back the big revelation of i am your father yes it's a big surprise, but I think the reason it lands is not because it's a surprise. The reason it lands is because it's the hardest possible thing that Luke, and hence the audience, could could hear in that moment. Yeah, You've had a bad guy that you can hate, that you can project your shadow onto just cleanly, and he's evil, and you just can, you know, I need to kill that bad guy, Darth Vader. Simple. With that one line, I am your father, suddenly that easy answer gets taken away from you, and he's something that our protagonist has inside him, has a relationship to, mm. and that we now have to think in more complex terms, in terms of layers of redemption. And that makes it harder, not easier, for the audience and definitely for Luke. His screamed yeah. no, like, reflects that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me... If Ray had gotten the answer that, oh, yeah, you're related to whoever, you know, you're related to so-and-so, you're related, here's your place in this story. Take take the dome off the silver mm-hmm. platter, here's your place. Yeah. That would be the easiest thing she could possibly yeah. hear. Yeah. The hardest thing to hear is, nope, this is not going to define you. You're going to have to, and in fact, this is going. Kylo is going to use this to try and uh, – undercut your confidence so that you'll feel you have to lean on him for your identity. And in this moment, you're going to have to make the choice to stand on your own two feet. You're going to have to make the choice to find your own identity in this story. Yeah. You know, that that seemed just dramatically to be the thing that was most potent to throw, throw to Ray in that moment. Uh, the, the, it, it was very interesting, very tough in, in a way watching the film. Um, mm. Obviously, given the the tragic death of Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, in relation to 
Leia mm. and what you, how Leia was going to exit the film. Mm. Um, was there any consideration on your part? I mean, she's, she's alive at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. She's very much still a part of the yeah. resistance. So there is a sense that she's passing on the torch to, mm. to Poe Dameron. Mm. Can you talk about the storytelling challenges that posed for you? Did, did anything change in the, in the wake of Carrie's death? Nothing did. We discussed it briefly. And, um, you know, I spoke with Kathy... When we came back after New Year's, we watched through the scenes, and there was briefly talk of, God, do we adjust something so that we, you know, give her some kind of end in this movie? And I was, I felt strongly that we shouldn't do that. I mm -hmm. felt like, for a couple of reasons, I mean, we have a beautiful, complete performance from her. Mm -hmm. I would, uh, that last moment of her saying, we have everything we need, and putting her hand on Ray at the end, I feel is so powerful for her, also just for us saying goodbye to her. Yeah. Um, and also, I can't imagine anything that we would be able to manufacture without having Carrie that would have been emotionally satisfying if we had tried to... I, have, I literally have no idea what that would be. And yeah. I definitely have no idea what it would be that would maintain the scene with her and Luke, which there was no way we were going to cut, yeah. or or the scene in The Falcon, you know. Yeah, um, so... Uh, so we just decided to let it lie, and it's going to be, you know, I mean, it's, I know J.J. is going to come up with a way to, you know, um, to resolve her in the next movie. And also, I think, you know, we all, we all know what, what he's up against in that regard. It's not like, you know, we all kind of know, this, it's part of the context of going into the next movie is we, we all know this has happened. It's not like it's going to be a big twist, whatever he ends up doing, I think, you know. Um, so my feeling was, you know, to have Carrie's final performance and mm -hmm. to have it land the way it does in the movie was, was, was worth letting it lie. Um, one of Leia's big moments is a demonstration of force powers, which is something we've not really seen from that character before. Yeah. Uh, and Luke obviously demonstrates incredible force powers we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, so does Snoke. You seem to be really pushing and driving the mm. that aspect of the film. Is mm. that? Can you talk about that? Was that something you wanted? wanted to yeah. Do? Well, it, I mean, it was twofold. I, I, there were, you know, I mean, first of all, we were kind of. Um, it's 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 tough because at this point between you know the force awakens and also some of the um you know like the, the the even like the force unleashed even like the video or the the battle you know some of the video games at this point we've the, 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 it's like the the pot of water that slowly gets heated up you know the for the, the level of force powers has slowly come up and in that regard I feel like, you know, um, relatively, we, we, I, I, I feel like we still offered a, a, a modicum of restraint, I thought, just because we didn't have anyone pulling, you know, pulling Star Destroyers out of the sky. And believe me, it came <laughs> up. When Luke comes out onto that field, There were I, I was like, oh, God, should he wave his hand and all the walkers fly, you know, yes. blow off like dust or something? Or should I, you know? Um, and... Uh, but so the things that are in there that are force moments for me came out of, um, I mean, largely the dramatic needs of the moment, you know. But the Leia thing is an interesting example. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's uh, something that Kathy kept bringing up, which I thought was very interesting. Kathy Kennedy, she yeah. was like, I've always been intrigued by what Luke says to Leia and Jedi about you have these, you know, you have this inside you also, and why mm -hmm. haven't we ever seen that? And the notion that 
the idea behind that moment was that in a moment of that, first of all, her use of the force in that moment, first of all, is not incredibly powerful. She's in space, which offers no resistance. And so it doesn't actually <laughs> take much to pull her back in. She is in zero gravity. But also that it's instinctual. That yes. was the bigger thing for me is yes. that it's the equivalent of like when – you hear stories about parents who have a toddler trapped under a car and they lift the car up, they get Hulk strength. The idea that it's, I'm not, you know, this is not going to end today. Yes. I'm not finished yet. Yes. And that she, it's almost like just the drowning person just clawing their way to the surface, the way that she pulls her way back in. Um, and that the force would manifest in that kind of instinctual way as opposed to in the more intellectual, I'm going to train and learn this and this. That's just this raw kind of expression of something inside her. The uh, the relationship between Kylo and uh, and Ray in this movie is fascinating. Uh, or do you think of him as Ben? Do you think of him as Kylo? Or, or you said Kylo a couple of times. So I'm, Kylo I'm and Ben. It depends who's saying it and in what context. <laughs> you know, when Ray is is saying his name, hoping he doesn't stab her through the chest, he she uses Ben <laughs> quite wisely. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not the word Solo though. I think that might set him off somehow. Possibly, but, you got to be yeah. careful. Yeah, he's easily <laughs> easily triggered. But it is fascinating, and the and it comes ahead a in that amazing scene. Um, after uh, the, the lightsaber battle and uh, mm. the, 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 the battle for, for Kylo's soul mm. can be read a couple of different ways, I, I think. There's, there's some people who will think that there is good in him mm. and that in his, his uh, space Skyping conversations with, with Ray, he mm. is very much feeling the pull of the light side of the Force. Mm -hmm. The other uh, reading, of course, is that all along it's a power grab. Mm. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on it? Well, I'm, you know, to write these characters, I always have to you know, get inside their head, and so I'm always trying to write them. I don't know. I, I and this is not even a spoiler. I kind of just want people to be able to interpret it the way that they do. I, mm -hmm. I tend to step inside and have the most generous reading of any character's motivation possible. And so with Kylo, I'll say this: the moment where Kylo makes his appeal of join me to mm -hmm. Ray. Um, and I think Adam captured it so well on that little please that he gives at the end. <laughs> I want the, it was important to me that it wasn't a chess game. It wasn't just manipulation that as unhealthy and as, as much that is, you know, um, awful about the way that he's trying to and, – and is manipulative from his uh, – uh, from his point of view, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very naked, open, emotional appeal. It's his version of I'm, I'm just a I'm just a girl standing in front of a guy asking. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kylo's sick, evil version of that. But that, from his perspective, the same way that when he tells you know his version of the story with Luke, I don't think he's lying. You know, yeah, that's his experience. Yeah, of, that's his experience of that moment. Yeah. I think he's telling it honestly, and I think it's actually what you know. Yeah, yeah. and it's interesting that the third time we, we, we see that story, it feels very much like the yeah. objective truth. And we see two versions of right. the subjective truth in the, the, exactly. in the third one. Yeah. Um, not a lot of time left, Ryan, and there's a load of stuff to talk about. So we I could do keep talking quick... for another few hours about this. This, uh, is, this is so much fun finally getting to talk. <laughs> see, this is, this is the, you fall into no, the Chris McQuarrie trap. You know? I know. So just cancel your press the rest of the day. Chris, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just do Let's this. Let's do it, man. <laughs> Let's do it. So I'll do a couple of quick fire things. Um, people are asking me about the Knights of Wren. Hmm. Was that ever a consideration for you? Where are they? 
Well, it's – I mean they're interesting. Yeah. It's intriguing who they are and I – you know, if, if, if JJ takes it up in the next chapter, I'll be mm-hmm. very curious to know. They're just – I mean you can see we have a very full movie already. <laughs> there literally was just not room for another element of them yeah. and, uh, you know, I guess I could have used them in place of the Praetorian Guards but then it would feel like wasting them because I knew – yeah. All those guards had to die <laughs> pretty quickly. <laughs> and if Kylo had an emotional – had some kind of connection to them, it would have added a complication that wouldn't have helped the scene. So yes. the truth is it, I, I just didn't see a place for him in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Holdo um, taking pretty much the entire fleet out with a hyperspace attack. <laughs> yeah. It's astonishing. Oh, thanks. That's something that ever – I'm sure a lot of fans have thought – I mean, uh, you know, ever since – Han is talking about how if you don't get the calculations right, you could go through, you know, I've always wanted to see what that would look like. And they'll get the guys at ILM. At some point, somebody hit upon that exposure idea of everything oh, going. Wow. And because we were struggling with how do we make this visually impressive. Yeah. And once and somebody hit on that and that came up on the screen. And we were just like, oh, this could be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, you kill Snoke. You, um, you said to um, one of my colleagues at Empire, James Dyer, that you weren't interested in where Snoke came from. Mm. Were you interested in Snoke, full stop, because you kill him? And oh, yeah. Was there a feeling that maybe he was too close to the Emperor and that Kylo, a petulant yeah. man-child who is prone to explosions of rage, in charge of the First Order is much more interesting dramatically? Well, I, I, I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, and I like Snoke as a character. I think as Andy Serkis plays him, he's delicious. You know? <laughs> he's evil and he's fun. But... Uh, but Kylo, to me, is where you know is, is is where the the interesting stuff is, and the notion of clearing the deck of the Vader Emperor dynamic, yeah. so that uh, all bets are off in the final movie in terms of how the villainy is going to play out. Um, that to me seemed like a much more interesting thing, and uh, and yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it 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 just seemed natural. And in terms of who he is and where he came from, it's just another thing where. If he had stopped in the middle of any of these scenes and given a monologue about when he <laughs> was so and so and rose to power from so and so, it would have just stopped the scene dead in its tracks, and we would have cut it out in the editing room because it dramatically has nothing. You know, it, it, the same way if the emperor had given a big thing about his backstory in Empire or Jedi, yes. it would have done. Would, it just doesn't belong there. The prequels, it does because it's the emperor's story, Absolutely. but this is not Snoke's story. I remember when I was Darth Sidious. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, and Ray would blink and say who, and they look at each other, and then the scene would go on. It just it doesn't matter to her, and so it doesn't matter to us. I think, um, and it's I don't know. I I I, I, I say that now. It, it it really is not an expression of um, you know uh, I don't know. I I, I think it's. As a Star Wars fan for many years, I think it's so much fun to have the theories. And I think the notion of giving everyone a backstory and that kind of world building, I don't want to poo-poo that. I think that's yeah, I think that's awesome and fun. But at the end of the day, these movies are stories and every single one of the Star Wars movies has done what's necessary for their story. And, yeah. you know, we had to do the same thing. And really quick yes or no answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously not directing Episode Nine, but Luke says, see you around, kid, to mm. Kylo. So will we see Luke Skywalker again? Yes or no? I don't, I, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. you got to do a spoiler cast with JJ for that one. <laughs> do a pre-spoiler cast yeah. for that one. I could Brilliant. keep time for another hour, man. This is so oh, much man. fun. Thank you for talking. That was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lee. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it, man. Okay, so that was Ryan Johnson. 
I could have uh, listened to that for the rest of my life. <laughs> I loved that interview. I'm gutted I wasn't able to do it. But just 25 minutes. It, it would have been terrible. 25 hours. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, there is nothing about that film I didn't want to talk to that man about. Yeah, this is this is true. This is true. I got the sense from him that he, he could have done a lot more. But you, yeah. know, you know how these things were. Edith Dillon yeah. was right outside the room <laughs> waiting to do her, her podcast. So uh, we had to yield. Had to take, yield to Edith. Did he take your photograph? He was taking a photograph of people who were attending junkets. He did, yeah. He did. Just a picture it. of you. Uh, yeah, me looking bearded and overweight. Who knew? Who knew? But he was uh, taking pictures all the way through. Uh, really, really interesting guy. Really smart guy. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview. But now it's our turn. And for a small group of people who have decided that this movie is awful and that this is going to be two hours of us bashing the Last Jedi, well, what can I say? This is not going to go the way you think. But what's interesting is that we would normally have had the spoiler special up by now. It, usually we go four or five days after the US release. At the filmmaker's request on this occasion, because of Star Wars, I guess, we held off to January 15th. What that's done, I think, is given us a unique perspective on uh, the film's box office performance, on the film's general reception, and on this backlash that I keep reading so much about. And in fact, you know, it's not just... I've got a lot of you know, DMs. We had hundreds of DMs about this film, more than any other spoiler special. And a lot of people seem to be quite angry about things that happened in this film. A lot of people seem to be quite angry about things like the humour. And there is a backlash. And it's very easy to say, oh, this is a backlash of whiny, entitled fanboys. But I know friends of mine who are far from that who do not like this film at all. They don't like what happens to look in the film. They don't like the humour in the film. They don't like things like the Finn and Rose subplot in the movie. Where do we stand in the film, first of all? And then let's talk about the backlash. Where do you think it came from? And do you think uh, it's justified? So, Helen, let's start with you. What, what do you what's your take on, on The Last Jedi? Um, I came out of my first screening of it with many more issues than I currently have. It has massively improved on a second viewing and then a little bit more even on a third. On a first viewing, I still liked it very much. Uh, I still like the way that it set up familiar Star Wars uh, events, tropes, whatever you want to call them, and then and then twisted them or completely just threw them aside and did something else instead. And I like that. I want to be surprised by films. I, I, I cherish the fact that big franchise movies can sometimes still surprise me, and I thought that was brilliant. And so I liked a lot of it anyway. I, I do think there's there's probably some, you know, some moments that could have been smoothed out. I think maybe you're right. Maybe some of the humour could have been, again, smoothed into the tone a little bit better somehow. I don't know. But it mostly was funny, so I didn't really care. It was long. I did find it long. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it, it, there, there's a moment where you feel like, okay, we've, you know, we've we've made it. We've escaped. Oh, no, wait, there's an entire battle section story to come. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, this is long. But at the same time, you know, I, I, having seen it again now, I, I don't know what I want to lose. Um, I like everything. And I think it's trying to do some really smart things and trying to reset and recalibrate Star Wars in incredibly smart ways that I'm very glad to see. Ian, as uh, someone who has forgotten more about Star Wars than any of us, including <laughs> you, Jim, but will ever know, what was your take on it? I, I came out, I reviewed it, so you have to gather your thoughts very quickly, and I had to review it for the following morning, and my feeling was it was a, a solid four-star movie. There was I had some issues with it, some things that didn't quite work for me, particularly around Canto Bite. I thought it was great, and I've seen it a couple of times since, and I'm still on the same level with it, I think. I don't think I've changed 
massively, in my, in my initial opinion, of it. What made you go back? Uh, Star Wars completism? Genuinely li- liked the film? Or did you feel that you had to well, see I, it again for the spoiler special? Well, all of those things. Yeah. But also, I'd had tickets before I'd seen it, so I was going back anyway. You know, I'm, I'm a fan, so I'd, I'd, I'd bought tickets uh, for the opening night, Mm-hmm. And I bought tickets uh, a couple of days later for that in in IMAX 3D, and um, yeah, I, I just thought I thought it was great. I thought it was great to have a Star Wars film that felt directed. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't come mm. across very in some of the other movies. You don't get the sense that there's a guiding hand. I thought you took some real chances with it visually, narratively, thematically, and um, yeah, I thought it was great. And I don't really understand the backlash. I don't really get it. I, I'm not sure how anecdotal this backlash is, how big the backlash is. Is it just mm. a few people? Is it a, is it a, a kind of a broad swathe of people? I don't know, but yeah. um, I don't really understand. I, I see a lot of anger on Twitter. I think that anger is dissipating somewhat. And I think you're right. I think it's a film that, that with multiple viewings, uh, the flaws begin to recede slightly into the background. And but, of course, anger leads to hate. <laughs> hate leads to suffering. <laughs> uh, which is very, very true. But again, I do have friends who are big Star Wars fans, but they're not like huge Star Wars. It doesn't dominate their lives. But they they came away from seeing it and whenever we've had conversations about it, I go, I, I really like it. They're, they're a bit perplexed by that. Uh, Jimbo, what's your take on it? I like it a great deal. I think it is an objectively better film than The Force Awakens. And there's not much about it I would change, and I absolutely understand where the backlash has come from. Uh, and I wrote a thing about this in the new issue, but for me, it's like Star Wars 2.0. It's, it's, it's not the Star Wars we know. It's a different Star Wars. It's an adapted Star Wars. It's a progressive Star Wars. Uh, and it's interesting, it's not just viewers who have had this reaction. The cast did too, because I started doing interviews for this at the beginning of last year, and when I spoke to Ryan about it, and he seemed quite quite nervy, it was a, a celebration. And we sat down, and I was everyone kept saying to him, "Oh, it's going to be darker than the Force Awakens. The new Empire Strikes Back is going to be darker. It's going to be darker. It's going to be darker." And I kind of said to him, "I said to him, is this the case?" And he kind of he kind of paused, and he was like, "No." He goes, "Honestly, I'm a little bit worried. I've gone too far the other way." He goes, "I've really pushed the boat out <laughs> with the jokes." And he goes, "And he goes, I'm not kidding. I'm I'm a little bit worried about it." And I thought that was quite telling. And when I poked to the cast they were all very much i was like you know what did you think when you first read the script they were like it was beat unexpected you yeah. know again i don't think it's what they were looking for either mark hamill was quite vocal about this early on and then he kind of walked it back that you know this isn't what he expected from the film this is not what he expected for his character and i think it's taken them and it's now taking viewers some time to realign themselves to a film that as ian said it is directed it is written this is johnson's vision of what he wants star wars to be he's he's not someone who wants to tell someone else's story he's someone who wants to tell his own and i mean he didn't give a fuck what J.J. wrote in The Force Awakens. He was just like, race parents, that's bollocks, get rid of it. Yep, Snoke, don't like him, dead. Do you know what I mean? He's like, this is a story I want to tell, and it's incredibly bold, and I love it. I wonder how much of that, I mean, that's got to have been signed off, that's probably got to have been, I would have thought, outlined beforehand, right? No, actually, and I found this very interesting, that apparently it literally went at the end of Force Awakens, line was drawn under it, and that was that. Uh, J.J. may well have had some ideas, but I suspect... If he did have ideas, Ryan, shall we say, set them aside. Ryan very sort of, I think, generously says there were no ideas even given to him, uh, which seems unlikely, but maybe it is true. But certainly by 
his account and by other people I've spoken to within the production, he was given absolute free reign mm. to do what he wanted mm. to do. Now, I have zero doubt that if he had come round and turned in a screenplay that Kathy Kennedy hadn't liked, he would have been sent packing much like everyone else has been. Yeah. Yeah. But she loved it, she loved him, and that's the film we have. Does this point to the fact that obviously George Lucas is no longer involved? And yes, he didn't direct Jedi or Empire Strikes Back, but, well... I mean, he was Jedi, on he set. Did. He was on set a lot, <laughs> yeah. And certainly, he had control narratively. Maybe not of all the finer details, but he had control narratively. Yes. He's creatively, so, definitely. Uh, you know, for but and and there, Kathy Kennedy is obviously in charge of the of the overall picture here. Mm. But there is there doesn't seem to be a George Lucas figure, a, a creative figurehead uh, at the no. at the head of these films, which leads to things like Luke throwing away the lightsaber. Uh, that Ray gives him immediately. Now, I wonder when J.J. Abrams wrote that ending, uh, along with uh, Lawrence Kasdan, for The Force Awakens, if he would have had Luke throwing away the lightsaber. If J.J. Abrams were to write and direct episode eight, I imagine it would go down a very, very different route and Luke would do a very, very different thing. Absolutely. So what you have is, is, is one director going, I feel a little bit trapped by what the previous director has given me. And I think you, you see a lot of that with, with, yeah. with Johnson in this movie. Throwing away the lightsaber, uh, throwing away Ray's parents, killing Snoke, all that stuff. And I, I, I wonder now what Abrams is going to do for episode nine, because he has been given so much. He has been boxed in mm. to that extent. But I wonder if he's going to try and reverse the on some stuff. But then he's chosen to come back, uh, presumably having read this script, or if not seen this film in, a, in, in some form. You know, he because yeah. we were far yeah. enough along. I'll show you what Snoke is. <laughs> did you? Did but you it just... absolutely tied its ends up, didn't it? It left yeah. JJ very it left it with a clean slate. Yeah. Mm. So there's very little for him to work with previously, and that's exciting, isn't it? That's exciting. Did you see the meme with. on the internet when it was like, uh, "Meanwhile, JJ Abrams be like," and it's like the crawl. So like, episode nine, it was all a dream. The Furious <laughs> Knights of Britain have created a new yeah. Death Star. <laughs> but, but I think this isn't this what everybody said they wanted after the Force Awakens. The principle, the main. Cr- of the Force yes. Awakens was it's a Star Wars remix. Yeah, it's everything thing. we've heard heard before, but just in a slightly different order. This absolutely answers that criticism. Mm-hmm. This and is what I wanted the Force Awakens to be, <laughs> and people are still complaining. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. You can't please people. But this is what I wanted the Force Awakens to be. I wanted it to yeah. feel like new Star Wars. I didn't want it to feel like a karaoke Star Wars. And I, and I get the Force Awakens is beloved by many people, but well, interestingly, and this is one of the reasons I understand the backlash. And while I do think. The Last Jedi is a superior film to The Force Awakens. I'm not saying I necessarily prefer it. I think, for me, they're on a level. And part of it is The Force Awakens, flawed and very familiar that it is, it gives me the warm and fuzzies uh, in a way that The Last Jedi doesn't. I've watched it twice now, and each time it's been a slightly distant Almost well, like I, I don't understand emotionally I, distant I don't experience. understand how you don't get the woman fuzzies when R2 plays the message. I do then. Yeah. Yes. And, there are moments. And, and there are moments. To, I mean but, that, but yeah, and but, that. And he calls it out. Yeah, it's a cheap shot. Yeah, yeah. So he, and he's smart enough to call it out. And that's yeah. just, that's so, that's, that's a I have to I have to disagree. I think I think a lot of the woman fuzzies from The Force Awakens were that feeling of relief. I haven't had that feeling of relief in a cinema since I think the first Lord of the Rings within 10 minutes I was like they're doing it it right they're doing it right and I felt that in The Force Awakens because it felt like a reset and and a regaining of our trust after the prequels like oh this is Star Wars again and it really really feels like Star Wars again and that was super important and it was super important to do that I think Um, but it's also super important to not keep doing that and Mm. not keep telling the same story and doing the same thing Mm. and that's why I, I I ended up having more warm and physics. I've never cried as much in a Star Wars film as I have all three times in this. 
I guess it depends sometimes on how you watch it. Like, I sometimes feel that I have a kinship with the internet crazies. It, it, it's that, <laughs> you that, do. That, well, I do in many levels. But, but Star Wars for me isn't just a film. There is something very personal. I mean, I've probably spoken about this before. When I was a kid, it, because my family member of mine worked on the film, I had a copy of the film. And it's the only videotape I had, literally the only videotape I had. And way, way back in the 1920s or whenever it is when I was a kid, you know, there was very little entertainment. So I would during the holidays, watch this film again and again, all day, every day, as the only film I had. And so there is something comforting, familiar about it, where it's almost like, you know, going home again, mm. revisiting my childhood, mm. in a way that there is nothing else, be it film, TV, game, music, that does that to me. And The Force Awakens, I think, scratched that itch. You know, and mm. It made me feel that again. This didn't, but... Well, like this, say, is, this is a more challenging film, and it presents the heroes that you grew up with, Luke Sky, particularly Luke Skywalker, yeah. in a very different light. It uh, and it's a very interesting movie about things like failure being used as a building block mm-hmm. uh, and the, the nature of heroism. And of course, for me, one of the overarching themes of the movie, I mean, it's a movie that literally says it, let the past die, mm-hmm. let old yeah. things die, kill Absolutely. it if you have to. And this is very much a movie that goes, okay, that's... And I think this even feeds in, into the stylistic and visual flourishes that Johnson brings this movie that, that Lucas didn't, that J.J. Abrams didn't. You know, It's interesting you touch as a visual grammar. In yeah. this movie. Yeah, so when, I was thinking very early on, when Paige is dropping the bond, the bombs, mm-hmm. there's a great kind of slide of a close-up into mm. her eye. Yeah. yeah. You never got that with And George. the sound drops out. Yeah, and the, the use of sound throughout the whole yeah. movie. And, and that's the bit where they misunderstand gravity in space as well, that's great. Well, I was uh, wondering about that, actually. Because bombs in... are surely propelled, right? They don't appear to be. I, I was wondering, were they in the upper atmosphere? Because there's a sort of boom when the, um, when the Star Destroyers come out of hyperspace. Uh, interesting, interesting. Look, I, I'm going with that. Shoot. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> I think a Star Wars, any yeah, I mean, science, fi- yeah, uh, any yeah. science, science fact, fact is yeah. just thrown out yeah, the window. Yeah, 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 I'm we, with you. That's, see, this is the only way, because my, my theory has always been the onboard computers in Star Wars interpret, like add in sounds for everybody's clarity of understanding, and that's what we're hearing in the film, okay? Yeah. Um, and this is my only way to reconcile, because you do hear a sound when they're on the planet's surface, when Billy Lord is on the surface. Yes. You hear a sound when they, yes. when they warp in, as it were. It's, I, it's, I'm, they're in the upper atmosphere. Yeah. That's fine. Everything's fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. How are you? Uh, but there's flashbacks. There's yeah. flashbacks as well, which yeah. we, we, we've never mm. really seen before. Well, that how are you thing is interesting because to me, <laughs> that is exactly what um, Poe is doing in the early scene where he's talking about hold, yeah. holding. That's exactly the same level of humour. So why it was funny in New Hope and it isn't funny now. Oh, I see, I disagree. It's the same thing. That, to me, felt very different. Like, it it didn't, I won't say it jarred, but I like, ooh, it arrested me, because I thought, this is humour that I've not seen in Star Wars before on this level. Well, how is that different? Because this was, it was Spaceballs. Like, this was Spaceballs. This was like, holding, holding for hugs, holding for general Wasn't it a bit like his, so who's going to speak first? Do you speak first in in Force Awakens? Like, it's exactly the same level. it's a touch on that, but I think maybe slightly amplified. But it felt to me like it was more, overtly comedic than anything I'd seen before. I think that comes entirely from character. That's exactly something Poe Dameron Oh, I agree with you. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's parodic in any way. But I know a lot of that angered a lot of people. The space iron angered a lot of people. I love the space <laughs> iron. That's genius. Because this is, this is yeah. a... And obviously it's a... It's, it's a hardware wars riff, isn't yeah, it? Hardware yeah, hardware Yeah, it's what it is. But apart from that, it's just a great visual joke. <laughs> it's pretty it? funny. It's genius. It's also, it's also, uh, you know, how is that not acceptable? But, um... Toad's coat hanger in Red yeah, of the Lost Ark exactly. is acceptable. Yeah. It's on the same. It's on the same lines, guys. You know, it's okay. It's okay. But people ask, you know, what is it about Ryan Johnson that Kennedy liked that she didn't in some of so many of the other directors? And I do wonder whether 
she saw that what he was doing was making it feasible for her to release a Star Wars film every year for the next 10 years. Like He, with this new trilogy, will be re-outfitting Star Wars for the future because there's only so many times you can start recycling the same ideas, the same feelings, the same situations. And like you couldn't have another trilogy of Force Awakens-type movies or something like this. I'm fascinated to see what he does with this next trilogy now. Yeah, it's interesting. So we came, uh, Chris and I went to the cinema last night to see this together for the third time. And, um, and you were saying as we left... There's no way Kylo Ren makes it through the, the third movie. And I can absolutely mm-hmm. see that. Mm-hmm. I can, that absolutely makes sense to me. But also, Why do you say I can that? say, I can also see a, a scenario where he does. And, and I am fascinated that in a, I, can, I can envisage a Star Wars movie where that guy is still redeemed no matter how much terrible, terrible stuff he's done at this point. Um, or where he survives despite being irredeemable, or where he is righteously killed. I I do not know where they are going, and I have never felt that before in a Star mm. Wars movie. Because mm. I, I thought it was it's secretly it's it's Kylo Ren's trilogy. I thought that before it's as well. About him, it's going to be about him, and the end will be about his redemption. Funnily enough, I'm not sure that's what J.J. Abrams had in mind. I think that's definitely what Ryan Jensen, Johnson had in mind, and that's something that he said, and it came across very strongly when I spoke to him. That that is by far and away his favourite character to write for. Like I, He loves Kylo Ren. You know, Helen, uh, in your Force Awakens review, you said that Kylo Ren is the, was the... Most interesting, Most interesting Star Wars villain. I disagreed at the time, but I'm on board with that now. Now I look like a freaking genius. Now you look like a genius. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is down to the writing of the character. I think it's down to the power of Adam Driver's performance. Mm-hmm. I think there are two great performances in this movie, one from Mark Hamill and one from Adam Driver, who is phenomenal. And I think... We haven't even had a, re- a listener's question yet. We will get to uh, as many of your 88 questions that, uh, as I possibly can in the next hour Surely and a half 66. or so. 66. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I've ordered 88, never mind 66. Crazy 88. <laughs> uh, I think the Kylo Ren has blossomed in this, in this movie in particular into a really interesting character. And the idea of killing off Snoke and installing this really interesting layered, but that's not... Peter around the bush, petulant man-child yeah. mm-hmm. at the head of the First Order is so much more interesting narratively and creatively than having a, a, a lame Emperor rip-off. Yeah. Mm. And that, that that's why I'm intrigued. I, but I feel that Kylo Ren is not going to make it out in the next movie. I think even if he does get redeemed, and I think he is beyond redemption uh, for what he's tried to do, for what he has done, he's killed Han Solo, tried to kill his uncle. Okay, he doesn't kill his mum, but that's a small point in the credit column. You know, there's there's lots of points in the in the demerit column. Um, I think that he has, he's beyond redemption. I think it'll, it'll end with him being being bumped off I as the ultimate bad guy, probably by Hux. <laughs> Hux certainly wants to. Was planted when we see his kind of origins. You know, the flashback sequence. You plant the seed there because it gives him a way out, doesn't it? It gives him a rationale for being a massive bell end. Uh, I thought that was quite telling. I, I did I think Luke's. Apology, if he was attempting to apologise, fell far short. Yeah, actually, I thought that was a little bit of a, a shortcoming on his part. But of course, they can have many more conversations in future, so it's fine. <laughs> do we believe Luke would do that? Apologise? No, would he? That, that he would. That he would try and kill him I for don't... a split second. Yeah, because Luke's always had that flash of the dark side yeah. in him, hasn't he? He's he's always had something about him that has set him apart from the goody goody Jedi. For me, that's that's the com- one of the key complaints I see about, mm. about the yeah. film is that he would never do that. But Ryan Johnson talked about this a little bit in the interview, that the idea that, you know, Abrams gave him a film that started with Luke Skywalker in exile. And we talked about this, I think, in the Force Awakens podcast. And and Ryan Johnson 
I think essentially says it that that his Luke Skywalker, the Luke Skywalker we grew up with, would not have done that. Would mm-hmm. not have exiled himself. Mm-hmm. Would not have taken himself away from the fight. I think but we- he does in this, and the reason that he does is because his shame is so great. And what shame could drive you into yeah. exile? Yeah. He gave him a reason yeah. for a split second. For a split second, he wants to kill a kid. Because that's it. We think originally that he's there because he feels he's failed because Kylo Ren. But actually, it is. I think it's self-imposed. It's self-punishment. Yeah, he's self-flagellating. I remember we were talking about this and I was sort of saying, well, he must have a reason. He must be doing something, looking for something, trying to do something. But actually, this, this is an equally, you know, thorough explanation of why he would vanish. And a much better, actually, explanation of why it would be a vanishment and not just... Uh, hey guys, I'm going off to this planet called Acto. Um, I'll be there for a while because I've got to do a thing. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when I get back. Like you know, got, I've got to balance my chi. <laughs> this this explains why he would disappear and not just say I'll be back in a bit and keep in some kind of contact going. Yeah, to the most unfindable place in the galaxy, which yeah. is a really weird u- word to use. <laughs> There's got to be a better word than unfindable, right? I mean, it's not obscure. I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have a dictionary amongst those old sacred texts. <laughs> the Jedi texts. Yeah, the Jedi texts. <laughs> is it just me, or is Achto a planet consisting of one island? <laughs> well, you see a bunch of other islands. The other yeah. skeletons. When they talk happens. about it, we will go to that planet and destroy the island. It's like, okay, it's basically. I mean, it's smaller than the Isle of Wight. It's got well, a rock in the sea. He's on it the is island. literally a rock in the sea. Yeah. he can't get off the island, and you know, he, yeah. can, he can swim. I'm sure, but mm. not because well, there's, there's, there's sea monsters. So there are, yeah. you see it in the background, yeah. and his X-Wing's in the sea. I, I didn't think, no, people have said oh, this is meant to be a final sort of demise for his X-Men, and I didn't see it that way at all in the first viewing. I was like, oh, well, he's just parked it in the water. That's what they do, isn't it? And we've seen Yoda do the same thing. He can just lift it up at any point. It's fine. Um, but I think it is meant to be just, a final thing. Just Every- run a cloth over the controls, <laughs> just dry it off. No, but there was a there was a, a, a an interesting article I re- read online, and I apologise, I don't remember who, who wrote it, but uh, talking about everybody in this film gives up something that's important to them. It has to has to has to sacrifice things in order to to survive or to succeed or to save someone that they love. Um you know, whether it's um Luke's X Wing or him throwing away his lightsaber, everybody is is making sacrifices. Rose giving away her necklace um to mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to help the sort of the greater good. And I, I think it's it is a film all about giving things up to to try and get to where you need to be. What does Ray give up? I don't remember the whole article, Chris. Ray gives up, I mean, she gives up on her dreams of Luke, essentially. She realizes mm. she has to sort of stand up for herself, I think. Mm. She gives up on the, on the dream that the Jedi will sort of ride in on a white horse and save mm. her. Absolutely. And she gives up on her parents. She does. Coming to, coming to save her. She does. Her. Should we get some questions? Should I we, suppose we should. Could. We dive, dive into some questions. Uh, we've obviously answered quite a few already. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll use these as jumping off points. I'm going to take these in the order in which I received them. Okay, so these are DMs sent to me over the last few weeks. So here's the first one. It's from at Funkster Cosplay, which sounds okay. like it could be a character on, on Canto Bite. Can we talk about Leia turning into Star-Lord and surviving the cold of space? So this is Leia's big force moment. Mm. Mm. I've seen some people refer to this as Mary Poppins. <laughs> what, did we, what did we think of it? I thought it was poetry. I thought it was absolutely great. When, she, when she's gliding into the ship and she breaks the kind of the transmission hologram thing it's beautiful mm. it's absolutely lovely no, no problem with it at all yeah um, I, I thought I thought that was going to be it when I watched it for the first time because they carefully hadn't shown any other any later layer shots that I remembered anyway from in the trailer mm. so I thought this was going to be Carrie Fisher's goodbye and I was in bits um, and so to have her come back in um, was a little bit of a punch the air sort of a moment actually 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Jimbo? Yeah, I, I think just going on from what we said earlier, you can't start nitpicking physics and what a vacuum means <laughs> in Star Wars. You have to let all that stuff go. And if you can let that go, I thought it wasn't... I had issues with it the first time I saw it. I liked it a lot more the second yeah. time. I thought it was it was quite sweet. Yeah, it was nice. And, and it answers that question that she clearly comes from a very Force-sensitive family. You know, does she have the Force? Does she use the Force? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, she does. We have seen her use the Force before. It's mostly She's been feelings. communicating yeah. with Luke, yeah. her feelings and so on. It's, it's interesting that they didn't choose to kill Leia during screen time. Yeah. Because essentially that gives her an off-screen death and a catch-up in the next crawl. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that is Well, that they'd is have to come back and reshot, wouldn't they, if they yeah, wanted they to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. But... Un- unless they've saved a scene we don't know about. But yeah, that that is somewhat of a an upset. Yeah. And I, I would love... I felt like they were they were setting up these films, so, you know, sort of a Han story, a Luke story, a Leia story. I would, I would love to know what that Leia story was. It's because, been mentioned, I believe. I think they yeah. said that it would have been her film, Nine. And I felt um, like... I, felt, I do feel like there's a lot of... There's a great scene between her and Kylo Ren we're never going to get to see. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The way it kind of hands off, I think that scene where Dameron says, follow me, and they all look at Leia and she goes, what are you looking at me for? Follow him. I thought that's almost as kind of a tacit passing of the baton. And of course she gets the last line of the film in English. There is gibberish, space gibberish that comes after that. (laughs) Uh, I'm not being a space racist. That is just, that is space gibberish. I don't understand what that language is. She gets the last line of the film. It is obviously now J.J. Abrams' issue to solve but I wonder if the controversy because again we got a lot of questions this Funkster cosplay was just a first a lot of people raised this issue and a lot of people also thought that Leia would be given a big send off in this movie a big mm. heroic send off some people suggested that maybe with a, with a touch of light editing and some major CG work guys that uh, she could have been the one piloting the rebel cruiser into uh, Hux's fleet mm-hmm. uh, instead of Vice Admiral Holdo. Then you would have missed the last moment, and I think that would have been a loss. With Luke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd have yeah. missed that, but you'd also have missed the, you know, her final lines that she speaks to, the remainder of the rebellion. Yes. Um, yeah. But of course you could have given those lines to Holdo. You could have had uh, Holdo taking it on. And, and it, But the, the fact remains that we came to this movie knowing that Carrie Fisher is sadly dead. Yeah. And watching the movie for the first time, I was, and I said it to Ryan Johnson in the interview, I was on tenterhooks the whole way through, just thinking, is this it? Is this the moment that you kill Leia off? And you're just waiting for it. And so when the explosion comes and sucks everybody off, uh, including Admiral Akbar. It's <laughs> 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 oh! Well, I, was, I was actually going to say, this is the key part of this scene that we've missed, and that's yeah. that Akbar dies in there, and obviously the First Order have kind of laid, if you will, a trap. So, Oh boy. Yeah. It happens. Yes, they have. It's another trap. <laughs> <laughs> the moment I actually thought she was she was going to die, then having having survived that, was at the very end when when Luke is dying, way off uh-huh. on Acto. Yeah. Um, and there's a moment where Ray turns around and Leia's lined against the sunset. I thought she was going to disappear then. I thought she was going to sort of fo- force ghost it with her brother at the same time, a sort of twin connection thing. Mm-hmm. And I was very surprised that that didn't happen. Because I thought yeah. that would have been a way to solve it without really needing any that CG. Been, yeah, that could have been a nice moment. But, uh, but Ryan Johnson still... said that he didn't want to. He didn't want to do that. They had yeah. the movie scripted. He didn't. They didn't want to to rejig to uh, accommodate uh, Carrie's death in real life. To be fair to Kathy Kennedy, she said there'll be no CG layer in episode eight. Yeah, she. Yeah. that doesn't mean there won't be in episode nine. <laughs> True. <laughs> the, the interesting thing as well is that um, I don't have a problem with Leia using her force powers, none whatsoever. No. I do have a slight issue with the CG in that sequence. A little bit, yeah. 
it can look a little goofy as she floats through the the debris of the ship. That's you, great. you think it looks beautiful then, but okay, should we move on to the next question? Can we can we talk for a second about how much that whole sequence and that whole section of the film feels Battlestar Galactica? Because mm-hmm. Battlestar stole so much from Star Wars back in the day. And now they're taking it back, and they're taking it back. I mean, just just that whole thirty three minute thing just felt yeah, very yeah. very Battlestar. It really was the running pursuit felt Battlestar. The 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 X wings landing yeah. like flying directly into the hangar bay felt Battlestar. Yeah. Uh, and I just love that. Also, when they when they land on the planet and they've now got red. On the adats, the sort of red oh, yes, eyes on yes, the adats, yes, that's right. Which not look like gorillas in a really also, cool way. I love the fact that um, among those big assault walkers, there's one normal atat that's like a third the size. <laughs> it's like it looks like a little baby, like like two elephants and a little calf. But um, <laughs> didn't notice that. So I know we've said that we shouldn't poke holes in the physics, but there is one bit that just really, really bugs <laughs> the shit out of me. If we start poking holes in the physics, Star Wars here all day. It is this. That's not how speed works. If they are smaller and faster, they will continue to pull away. They will not just get a distance away, and then you will stay equidistant. That is not how speed works. There you go. Sorry, I'm done. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but they, they only have a finite amount of fuel, so it doesn't matter how far away they get. I thought that was something new in Star Wars. All this talk about fuel. Yeah. We've got no fuel. Mm, Where's yeah. the fuel? Where's that? You know, what was that about? I don't know, that's a new thing, isn't it? It's like Dunkirk, isn't it? It's like, the, you know, because people are going, but Luke and Ray, that's, that's clearly a week. I think it's only a couple of days, to be honest. But, yeah, I think it is. Uh, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it should have been one hour. Like, the battle in space with X-Wing should have taken one hour. And then the, the, the general <laughs> the fleet chasing down the rebel cruiser should have been like a, a, a day. And then Luke and Ray should have been a week. It's like Space Dunkirk. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> but Empire Strikes Back is like Space Dunkirk, but people just let, let it off the hook. It is. Mm. Yeah. But this is, this is obviously deeply influenced by Empire and Jedi, and you have the idea in this movie, I mean, this movie starts as Empire does, with the rebels beating a retreat in order to escape a massive, overwhelming Empire slash First Order force. Yeah. Only in this movie, kind of follows it through to his logical conclusion and actually has the chase continue for the whole thing. It doesn't scatter people around the galaxy. And it's a really interesting device, I think, to build a film around this mm. this very slow chase. It's the slowest chase I've seen since a car chase in Enigma, <laughs> which is <laughs> two 1920s cars having a go at each other at about 10 miles an hour. Yeah, I, I liked it. Do you want yeah, to can we clear up this thing about um, tracking hyperspace? Because mm. a lot of people have been talking oh about if you put God. the homing beacon inside the Falcon in the first one, then they tracked him through hyperspace. Yes. How come you can't track through hyperspace now? But I believe it's because they haven't got anything on board. Exactly. Because this, 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 this is, to? as they say, new tech, isn't it? Whereby they can project where someone goes through hyperspace. And then yeah. I love that, and by love I mean hate, uh, <laughs> when Rose and Finn have that kind of, oh shit moment, well it'll just be from the lead ship. And you're just like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. What nonsense is this? <laughs> it's nonsense, but it's said with enough conviction. It's said yeah. with conviction, yeah. They'd only be tracking it from the lead ship. Why? <laughs> no because maybe, maybe because maybe because of the nature of hyperspace, you just don't know enough about it, James. Also, one ship, can... Rose. What is she doing in a fighter, like in a skimmer thing at the end? I think they're a, a bit low on trained pilots at that mm. point. The entire X-wing battery was. Destroyed. Oh no, that's fair. That's fair. Just Squadron, saying. whatever. Not sure she's qualified. I, I have an issue. I mean, I do have some issues with the the rebels. The sorry, the resistances. Uh, uh, tactics and strategy and the way they build their bombers um, like maybe just, just a squidge more speed yeah. would be super good and also um, space slightly further apart spe- guys I mean I get the space together because what they're clearly trying to do is you know drop those bombs in a, in a concentrated enough manner to go right through vital sections of the hull like, I kind of can almost forgive that but you need a little bit more speed like come on 
I really liked that opening battle. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, it was yeah. super, but it is, yeah. it is very good. Really Did you good. see that the, uh, the bombs have uh, Hans says hi written on them and suck it, Snoke, and that kind of thing? <laughs> oh, really? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that. I didn't know. I uh, need to see it again. Yep, okay. Fourth time, should we go this week? <laughs> Let's do it. See how it goes. But obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a movie-long chase. And some people wrote in going... Is this a good end? Someone actually wrote in and said, this is a good end point. The, the rebels have won. They haven't they won. Haven't. No, they haven't. The only thing they win at the end is survival. They, they get away from an overwhelming force, which remains overwhelming. I think, I think what's really important, what this film very much consciously, and it says so repeatedly, but people keep missing it, try to do, is they are trying to reset what the, re- sorry, the resistance is oh, in this rebels. film. Fuck it. Rebels, fine. They are, they're trying to... Uh, they've all we've seen from the rebellion or the resistance has been fighting against the empire or the first order. And what this film is saying, that isn't enough. That cannot be enough. They have to do something positive. They cannot just say they're anti-someone. They have to be for something else. And that's that's Rose's yeah. whole story. And that's why she's important. And that's why the Canto Bite sequence is important um, is because it's about freeing slaves. It's about righting wrongs. Mm. It's about giving people hope even if you yourself don't accomplish what you were trying to do at the same time. Hearts and minds. That's, mm-hmm. Yes, that's something that's worth doing in itself. And I think that is the great over, overlooked part of this film for a lot of the, the people who didn't mm-hmm. like it. Funnily enough, I had real issues with Canto Bite the first time around. It yeah. wasn't because, and a lot of people criticised it for having a, a very sort of prequely aesthetic, it's, it, it wasn't even the fact that you could literally remove it from the entire film and it would impact the plot not at all. Um, yeah. It's that... Well, it wouldn't, because their plan doesn't actually come to any kind of fruition, well, so you could just remove the whole thing. Yeah, um, but at the same time, the, the little kid at the end who is Force-sensitive and is, is not inspired, relevant, is, not for this movie, but it's, it's important for the, for the upcoming movies, not you, would, necessarily. you would assume. It's as in that child probably isn't. The fact that there will be Force-sensitive people, I think, is a useful thing to know, but it's not, like, it's not core narrative. But anyway, but this is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what Canto Bike gives this is breadth of canvas. It broadens mm. the story out, not just thematically, as Helen was saying, but you know, it shows you what's happening elsewhere. I think without that, it would have been a very sort of very tightly focused, almost sort of myopic story where it's just very Battlestar Galactica. It's just yeah. about the fleet. It's just about a chase. There's one little side that I think you needed broader galactic context. So yay for Canto Bite. Mm. But also you mentioned there that it feels quite prequely, mm. the Canto Bite sequence. The whole thing feels like it could have been from Attack of the Clones and just has been hanging around for for a while and just <laughs> shoved into another movie. And that the fact that it does is very CG heavy. That CG isn't always good. It has terrible kid actors. Uh, so it feels very it feels very prequels. But there's a whole generation of Star Wars fans who grew up with the prequels as their Star Wars. And these old fusty movies with, you know, physical effects and puppets and whatnot that we grew up with is not their Star Wars. And so I think it's nice that Ryan Johnson threw in something that will feel to that generation, oh, this is my Star Wars, as well as, oh, and it's a nice hybrid Star Wars. Oh, you're letting the past die and moving on to new things, but also give me some of the old stuff as well. Thank you, Ryan Johnson, you're the best! (laughs) That's my Um, take on it anyway. Can I just register my traditional complaint at this point to space floozies? We don't need them, we don't want them, go away. Thank you. Is this Lily Cole in particular? Lily Cole's, yeah, ilk. What a, but can, I, can I talk about space booze? Because there seems to be champagne on, on Canto There did, Bite. yes. So there's space grapes and space vineyards and all that kind of thing, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that. But it's also funny that the, the humour in that sequence is very prequely as well. Like that little 
terrible CG fella who yeah. tried to put coins into BB-8. I quite enjoyed that. I thought that was fun. Sorry. <laughs> I thought we kind of squandered the Faviers and the horse race. I didn't get a sense of a great horse race in it. Mm. Yeah. No, I thought yeah. there'd be like an organic pod race. Do you know what I mean? I thought it would be yeah. something like that. But I, I wonder whether it also feels prequely because it's not used universe deliberately. Like this is supposed to be the Monte Carlo of the Star Wars universe. Mm. So there isn't room for that kind of rough and ready look that we associate with Star Wars. And there it is the kind of Coruscant feel that we get from, mm-hmm. or the Naboo feel that we get yeah. from the prequels. Also, it's a, it's a film that otherwise determinately takes place on real locations, on sets, on Star Destroyers and on Rebel Cruisers and on uh, a big island in, in Ireland. and Quite you know, a wee one. Quite a wee, you know what I mean, but like yeah. a quite jaggy, craggy, you know. A craggy island. A craggy island, say. if you will. <laughs> Canto Bight is Dubrovnik, isn't it? So, is it? Yeah, it's, it was all shot in Dubrovnik. Ruddy hell, it feels, feels very green screeny. Right, should we have a second question? <laughs> well, it's go been well. an hour, so yeah, sure. Only seven to go. <laughs> got an hour left. We're not gonna, okay, let's see how many we can get through. This is from Tosh Murray. These are all on Twitter. Toshy Station. Yeah. Uh, Snoke says he created the forced link between Kylo and Rey, yet we see them have another one after his demise. Was he spoofing or did the connection remain I, even after his death or was it just there all along? The magic was within you all along. I, I feel like that's easy enough. I feel like having created the bridge, there's a there's a remnant of it left. Uh, mm. I, th- I think that's fairly clear. And on, and also, he says, and we have no reason to doubt that, you know, as, as Kylo Ren rises in the dark, someone from the light rises to meet him. So they are sort of paired. They are twinned, if you will. Um, so I, I have no problem. I have another potential theory, but Ian, go, go ahead. I haven't got a theory, but I just thought that that's hokey as hell and Driver and, Ro- and Ridley made that work. Yeah. I yeah. thought that. Yeah, it's very true. I, yeah. I love the moment when, when she senses him behind her and she's like, I'd rather not do this now. And he goes, yeah, me too. And he's standing there with his nips out. And it's a bit like, I was just getting dressed and here you are in my bedroom. Yeah. Let the vest die. Kill it. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing at that moment? It's very hard to say, but that's a very high waistline he's got. It's not a good look, actually, that no, high waist on there. I don't like it. It makes his proportions look very strange. Yeah, I'm not surprised Ray doesn't know where to look. I mean, his nipples seem very far <laughs> apart, even for... Like, could you put on a shirt or something? Yeah. It's good. Solid gag. First time we've seen nipples in Star Wars? Apart from obviously apart from the, the look milks. Yeah, I was about to say the space cows. <laughs> Also, four swear words in this Star Wars. It's getting quite... Puts, again, someone said to me, oh, this isn't doesn't feel like a kid's film anymore. The, the first three movies, the original trilogy, were all used. I don't think they'd be used nowadays, by the no. way, uh, if you were to approach it from a, uh, a cold standing start. But you're, uh, you're counting bloody as a swear word. Just to give bloody, people a... a yeah. A, a, so yeah. Captain Kennedy says uh, bloody. Dameron says damn at one point. Uh, he also says ass. I think some badass, some, 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 something to... And then Finn says bastards. Uh, but also, uh, Holdo says Godspeed, which is yeah. an interesting Yeah, that threw me a little yeah. bit. She's not the first to say it, though. No. The uh, the captain of the medical frigate, who sacrifices himself as a medical frigate, goes, mm. he's the first one to say Godspeed. It's also, interesting, from though. Empire, they see you in hell. So yeah. there's some kind of... And thank the maker for C-3PO, which yeah. could mm-hmm. imply literally yeah. Anakin. But, yes. you know. And, um, of course... Um, they, they think 3PO is a god. That's it? right, yeah. yeah. Ewok, so. Ewok also, theology. Finn, Gungans have gods. Finn makes a reference to eggs where they're, they're burning a hole through the, the rebel base. Mm-hmm. He's talking about eggs, so they have eggs in the sky. You're going to crack us like an egg. Yeah, he loves an omelette, does Finn. Yeah. Which I think so, so partly might be what, why some of the fans don't like it, is that the people are not catching this stuff. Yeah. There's kind of real-world references coming in that shouldn't really be in Star Wars. Spunk. Spunk. I I thought the same about spunk. Yeah, mm. real spunk. I mean, 
after I seeing mean, that, after seeing Kylo with his they, nips out, and that's the first thing on my mind. That's because she was in the 80s playground, isn't it? Now, is it Blue Spunk? Or is oh, it? Chris! What? Come on. Move along. Move along. What are you going to say about Godspeed? Uh, do you know what? At this point, I don't know. Uh, which is bringing, is bringing the idea of a, a sort of a central deity into the speech. I mean, to be fair, I don't think that's what they were doing. I think it's a figure of speech, which is often used in an atheistic capacity. And but you could read yeah. it as... It's in, in a kind of sailing naval... Yeah. yeah. As well. Maybe it's an imperfect translation from a galaxy far, far away into our own English. Well, and it is, actually yeah. means get a wriggle on. Perhaps, <laughs> exactly. Perhaps it is. So we have another question, Chris. Yeah. So uh, can... I was going to say for, very quickly my, my theory. Oh, yeah. My theory about Kylo Ray, the, uh, someone said it was Force Time, which I thought was much funnier than my space Skype. Luke. 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 Luke, Luke, Luke. Luke is maintaining the bridge between Kylo and between Ray. I don't think he'd that do moment, that. I don't think so. I think he has, he has his reasons. I'm not saying it is that's what's happening, but he could be he could be the one to do it. I don't think we've seen the last Luke Skywalker. Mm. No, uh, definitely not. As, he, as the, he says, no one's ever really gone. Mm. Remember the expression on his face when he sees the two of them. It's almost like a dad walking in and catching his daughter and her boyfriend falling yeah. around. It's like, yeah. what is going on? How he, dare you lock your room? He literally blows up her room. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> blows up her room. And by the way, the caretakers have to put that together as well. She yeah. just blew a hole in the wall. No big deal. I love the caretakers. That, that, that I found really funny every time they look at her. Apparently there was a lot of that cut. Apparently there was a oh. lot of extra caretakers really don't like Ray stuff in there, uh, which is quite funny. That's a shame. Do we feel that the Kylo Ray thing is romantic? Uh, potentially romantic entanglement? I yeah, I, I thought they had, there was a chemistry there, mm. certainly. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting, because right. it's like, it's a whole thing, isn't it? Because it's like, it's like, Ray loves Kylo, you know, Finn loves Ray, Rose loves Finn, Damron will fuck anyone. Yeah, but they had a bit of a free song when they met, and I forgot that they oh, never yeah. met. Yeah, I it did, did too. It didn't dawn on me that they'd never met. And yeah. then it was all, all juge when they met. I thought that was great. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think that's... I don't think there's a romantic link between Ray and, and, and Ren. Between Ben and Ray, I think... Well, not now. Poe and Poe has... Yeah, it, it's Poe's like, how are you doing? It's, it, yeah. It's, yeah, but it's he's like that with literally everybody. Somebody said online that it was a good thing they kept him apart from the Porgs. Yeah. Um, because, you know, who doesn't love both of them? Poe Dameron, he'll stick it in anything. <laughs> right. Um, can I just say on okay. on the Ray point and and the Kylo point? Um, yeah, I, I I I find their whole thing absolutely fascinating. Completely in love with it the whole way through. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily romantic, but I wouldn't rule it out either. But I I find her relationship with the dark side really interesting mm. because I feel like she's fearless of it, There's and an that could be its own that. problem. I don't think it's. I don't actually think there is an ambiguity in the usual tempted by the dark side way. I don't think she is. I don't think it occurs to her to be tempted by the dark side. It's 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 with feels to me like a, this film in a nutshell. It's a rejection of kind of the the sort of binary dualism that, that there's a shade of grey to her, and that it's not about good or bad. It's just about is. Yeah, I think what I'm trying to say more is that she isn't tempted. She's mm. she's interested and she's fearless of it because she just doesn't see why it would be a problem. And and it isn't a problem for her, yeah. I feel like. I, there is no sense of her being kind of corrupted yeah. when she goes into that hole in the ground mm. in the same way that Luke had a real struggle in the tree. And I, I'm not saying this is a Mary Sue thing. I'm saying I feel like she's no, just... Thank, thanks, Chris. I feel like it's just... It's not something that occurs to her. And I think that ties into what Yoda says about her. Mm. I, I feel almost one step further that 
I think Johnson doesn't have a lot of time for that very simplistic dualism that Lucas structured this whole thing around. And I think this yeah. film is the first one that has moved away from that. This is good, this is bad, there is no grey area. Mm. And I think Ren in particular and Ray and even Luke, you know, there's lots of shades in here and there's a rejection of that simplicity that it's not good and bad. Everything's more complicated and DJ has a little speech about it. You know what I mean? It's mm. not about the good guys and the bad guys. Shit just happens. Yeah. Well, I think think Luke uh, has recognised that the strictures that were placed upon the Jedi were as much to to blame for their downfall. Page-turners, they were not. But I also think that this is about forging a new Jedi order and not having it be bound by, as Helen says, light side and dark side. And and maybe Ren and Rey will forge a new type of Jedi. There's an interesting mythology point here, isn't there? She has no one to teach her, but she has the book. So she's going to be the first self-taught Jedi. (laughs) She's doing the equivalent of the Jedi Open University at this point. She's going to be basically... Yeah. Well, she, I mean, not not much more than Luke was. He had a couple of weeks each with Obi and Obi Wan and and with uh, Yoda. Yeah, that's true. And it would literally was that that sort of shorter time. Yeah, he I think on the textbooks, though, did he? Yeah, but I I think there is a sense <laughs> that you're you're put on the path and then you know go nuts. Find your yeah. own way. She may not read the books. She's she's still in the books. Page turners, the books, they were not. Page turners, they are not. <laughs> I think I think it's about Ray in particular, Ray uh, becoming a different breed of Jedi. I like that. Seen before. I like that Yoda line as well. He's like, uh, "There's nothing in there that she doesn't already possess." Yeah. Obviously, being she's nicked him. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, but that's also what I mean about. I think that he's she's not worried by the dark side for the same reason. She has that knowledge innately. It's it's almost instinctive. Um, a lot of that, you know, what they talked about the Jedi's being compassionate. She has that already. She doesn't need the books. I don't think Yoda necessarily meant that she's stolen them, although I think he knew. I think he meant that she's got she's got that covered, don't worry about that. There's a bit of both in there, yeah. I, I like that they did Yoda as a puppet. I like that he yes. wasn't CJ. I thought that was an interesting fuck you to George Lucas, who obviously removed puppet Yoda from Phantom Menace and replaced him with CG Yoda. I, I found the puppets not bad, but the look of it didn't quite work for me. Like, I almost wish they'd done an exact... I suppose you could replica of the, you know, Empire Jedi puppet. There were distinct, still had his little, you know, kinky ear, but he didn't look quite the same. That bugged me a little bit. No, no one else. Just no, me. Just oh, you. I'm just quite you. pedantic. Just you. Why do we think it was Yoda and not Obi Wan? Was it because you could only have Obi Wan played by either Ewan McGregor, who Luke wouldn't recognise, or? Yeah. Uh, CG yeah. Alleginness, and Which let's not go down that road. Yeah. No. But also Yoda's just fucking Yoda. Do you know what I mean? Of course, it's going to be Yoda. Ben had a bigger impact on Luke's life. Yeah, but it's Yoda. Yeah. Anyway. Yoda's the man. Question three. <laughs> At CMW Ashby asks, blue milk or green milk, the most contentious part of the film. So what's your... F- <laughs> it, I have no, I have no stance. Dribbling down Luke's beard was not his finest point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that day in the life of Acto stuff was fun. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I've, I've seen your daily routine. Yeah. You are not busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read an interesting article about Luke and 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 his character in this movie and the nature of heroism. And someone uh, I can't remember the writer, uh, the person who wrote that piece, but she suggested that Luke is doing essentially what Yoda does to Luke in Empire Strikes Back, which he's mm-hmm. acting bloody weird, like just go away, look how weird I am, Woo! And, uh, <laughs> and 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 Ray hangs on, and Ray just will not. She's indefatigable, and she will not give up. And then eventually, which is interesting, because when the first time I saw this movie, I thought the Ray Luke scenes they felt a little bit dramatically inert. But if you go back and you watch each time we go back to Acto, bless you, each time we go back to Acto, she just moves him a little bit along the needle, just mm-hmm. a little bit towards embracing the Force again. 
and it's more about her impact on him. It's, you expect the Luke Yoda dynamic from Empire Strikes Back and you don't get it. In fact, it's the other way around. Yeah. She influences him in a way that he doesn't really influence her. He does to an extent, but... And I like the idea that he's closed himself off from the Force completely and she gradually convinces him to open up to it. And obviously it's only when he opens up to it that he sees her and Ren, isn't it? That's yeah. the point where he can actually see what's going on. Yeah, and he sees, he sees his sister as well. He sees the, 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 the situation that his sister's in. Yeah. And that brings him back a little bit as well. That's a nice touch. Which is interesting, mm-hmm. and even at the end, though, he still rejects it. You know, even, if, even when he uses the Force almost unconsciously in that mini fight with Ray to defend himself... And even as he falls back onto the stairs, he uses the force. Mm, to levitate. He doesn't mm. levitate. I love that sequence. Uh, that's a really interesting sequence. But even despite that, he seems determined to stay on the island, to not be Luke Skywalker. And it's only the intervention of, of Yoda, who apparently you know, must have been just getting Lucas away. Luke is unavailable. <laughs> Luke is disconnected for 30 years. And then suddenly he's there. Oh, in he is. Mm, call him, I will. And then off he goes, <laughs> has a little bit of a chat with him. And that's the thing that convinces Luke to put on this great display of power, this, this mm. galvanizing display of power that is the that will light the spark, that will light the fire, that will fuel the flames, that will turn the tide. I think one can underestimate guilt and shame and I think the the, the biggest single yes, reason I can. <laughs> the biggest single reason he didn't go back earlier is he didn't want to face Leia having yeah. having lost her son absolutely yeah. like how do you tell your he sister he's right there Chris. oh so you mean metaphorically there you go. lost metaphorically okay. lost and it's it's a beautiful moment when they yeah. finally oh are God. reunited although one thing that did stick with me how many people would have understood the dice because let's be honest that's not what I would call a particularly well known Artifact from Star Wars, a pair of gold dice. Like, a lot of people think, what the fuck is that? But you what? see him take it off the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, yeah I suppose, but. And what, what other artifacts did Han leave behind? Yeah. Or Han, as everyone pronounces it. Yeah, film. I know what you mean. But I just, I just wonder, because it was, it was a gag, wasn't it? You know, there, there were, seems to be mm. there were dice in the... theories that this is uh, Han solo, solo marketing right now. I've seen that. I had a DM from a guy who who, who said this is just marketing for Solo, a Star Wars story, yeah. uh, which is out in May. And <laughs> I went, how could it, that that's stop so, being so cynical? It's super cynical. Yeah. That's really cynical about this movie directed by Ron Howard, starring Alden Ehrenreich, Olivia Clark, and Donald Glover. It's just that's, that's madness. It's madness. Um, all right. Question four is from at gone. Uh, was it a deliberate hint that Luke wasn't really fighting Kylo Ren as he had a blue lightsaber? Yeah. Previously in a flashback scene, Luke held a green one and the blue one was destroyed in a fight between Kylo and it's not Ren. Not just that, is it? He's he's been to an intergalactic barber's. He's had some work. He's had he's had Grecian two thousand rubbed into his hair and beard. You know, he's lost like ten years. So, well, see, I, mean, I didn't get that the first time because I just thought he he trimmed a bit. Yeah, I, I'm something that jarred with me and the lightsaber thing. I was like, that lightsaber literally just blew up. What the hell's going on? Though weirdly, I didn't twig that he was a projection. I couldn't didn't work that bad. I thought how, something how was How do off. we feel about that? Just because uh, we've never seen him do that before. We've never seen anyone in Star Wars do that before. That's because they die at the end of it. So do, how do we feel about introducing these new force powers that we've never seen with Leia and with Luke? Fine with Does it. That, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with he it. He could have found it communing with the force on the island and he yeah. could have figured out how to do yeah. that and the way they seem to figure out things. Yeah. I mean, Lucas um, 
Lucas did it all the time in Phantom Menace, where there's something there's super speed and <laughs> the their powers. Yeah, the, yeah. Fly, the but, flash, they turn into the flash. Yeah. We never see that again. <laughs> never see that again. It's like, you know, they just, you just make it up as you go along. Like, I don't think the, the power is that Luke, who was a, a Jedi in training, or Fader, who was perhaps a, a Jedi coming to the end of his, his, his life. I don't think the powers that they displayed necessarily runs a full gamut of what Jedi can do. Uh, but it's clear that, you know, Luke does this. Luke does this knowing probably knowing that the effort is going to kill him. But he does so willingly. And I think that's a really interesting sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting interesting way to go out. I'll be honest, I went into this movie going, please don't kill Luke Skywalker. It means Mm, too much to me. Uh, I think also it's it's a bit rote after you kill Han. Don't kill one off per movie. That would be just... I would just be a little bit redundant, creatively redundant for me. But I really like the way he does it. I really like the way he goes out. And I also don't think we've seen the last of him. I think he'll force ghosted up a storm. Uh, 100%. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Espe- yeah. And even if they weren't planning to do that, mm. I think they, they are now given Carrie Fisher's yeah. sad yeah. demise. Because otherwise you've got no presence from no. the original yeah. trilogy in episode nine. You've got Chewbacca. Well, and, yeah. And, 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 and that's not actually Chewbacca. So. And, and I would maintain <laughs> Chewbacca gets more screen time this year in Wonder than he does in Star Wars. So. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing, just kind of tangentially related to Chewbacca, and someone said this to me. Do we think they overdid the Porgs? No. Because there is a point where, the, I mean, there's a fuck ton of Porgs on the Millennium Falcon at one point. Like, you get the one, the shouty one, the one that he pushes over, the ones that are nesting. I mean, they're everywhere. I didn't. I really liked them, but there was it was it was voiced as a concern. Well, some, somebody actually said this is the Disneyfication of Star Wars. Oh. They're just trying to sell toys. It's like, Ewoks. have you seen Star Wars <laughs> <Yeah>. ever? <laughs> it's the movie that invented toys. Yeah. You know, tie-in toys. No, no, you're right. There were no toys before Star Wars. I, I've looked it up on the internet. I like the Porgs. I thought they were great. But why do we think uh, Luke chose to go with the blue lightsaber? Do you think it's because that is what Luke identifies with? himself with most that it is yes. his father's lightsaber it's a lightsaber he first wielded when he became a Jedi and then he lost it carelessly also on it Clint means Clint something Clint. to Kylo Ren in a way that the other one doesn't well, in because he coveted it through the Force Awakens he wanted that lightsaber because it was Ren's you know his grandfather's lightsaber so there's a resonance there as well so hmm. I think it's symbolic on a number of levels and the green lightsaber is the one that he yeah. used in his moment of weakness so he really so doesn't he want to think want to about that. that where is that green lightsaber? It's probably the bottom of the sea with the X-Wing interesting that's another thing, because I'm a complete, I'm, I'm a complete idiot. Uh, I didn't realise that Luke wasn't actually on crate until I think day after I saw the film. Um, <laughs> but there are loads and loads of clues. I mean, obviously, you also have to ask how could he have possibly got to crate? Yeah. How could he have got yeah. to crate? How could he have known where to go? Mm. F- for one thing, that is a plot hole I cannot resolve. By the way, how you could have known? No, the the, the plot hole about uh, DJ knowing that the the rebel transports have left the cruiser. Well, because he's listening to the conversations that they're having, because uh, Dameron's explaining what's happening. But they don't to... have the conversation on screen. No, you're right. So unless it's a deleted scene and he is privy to that information in the deleted scene, I watched doesn't, it again very carefully last doesn't, night. Doesn't Dameron say um, she's fueling up the transports when he they're does, on the I line? I think he does. He might do. He I totally thought... talks about it, doesn't he? That she's abandoning shit. And DJ's then, very good at extrapolating information. But from yeah, but, but also he is a hacker, and he might have just like investigated a little bit further at that point. Let's I go liked with that. the fact that it wasn't that DJ had set them up all along. It was an yeah. opportunistic thing. He was captured, and he thought, right, I'm in a bad way here. I'm going to cut a deal. I thought that was a much more believable plot twist than yeah. he'd been yeah. setting them up all along. I, 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 I like that too. Yeah. We don't see him again after he gets his money. I presume he leaves. Yeah, I, I don't. Imagine. I wouldn't expect to encounter him again. No. Really. We possibly could, but yeah. <laughs> it depends how JJ feels about the character, really, doesn't it? Yeah. So. 
It'll be it'll be it'll be Snoke from dawn to dusk. <laughs> it'll be Maz Kanata who they asked. Oh, who Maz Kanata! Why was she in oh. this film? Who was so busy doing other things? I quite enjoyed that. It's a well. union dispute. <laughs> Maz Kanata. Although, although if if Maz Kanata is a union buster, I take back my enjoyment of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible. But if she's fighting with the union, that's fine. I just I I felt a little bit like what was Nyong'o contracted to? Did, no, but did, hats I mean, off to her agent. How far was she up the credit? <laughs> Do you see how high her name was? That fair play to the agent. Yeah. Could have done without that. Maz Kanata. Question five. <laughs> At bcurl80 asks, am I alone in thinking Luke saw a ship silhouette in the sun before Force Dying? You are and this not. is what I was trying to say to mm. Ryan Johnson. Yeah. He slightly yes. misunderstood me. Then he made my doubt my, me doubt myself. Having now seen it three times, it does appear it to does, be... It does, yeah. There's definitely a sunspot. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all it is. And though. that's I know. And but I I had the same thought, mm. and I actually had real issues the first time I saw the film with that whole end sequence because it felt very oddly edited. Because yeah. and that was one of the main reasons they it should felt have taken odd. it out. They should have taken it out because that also it, it it also it triggers a memory of the Tie Fighter sequence yeah. from the Force Awakens where they're coming out of the sun, and I thought, oh, is that a Tie Fighter? Is it, yeah. is it, because no, um, Snoke knows where he is now, mm. so, so I thought maybe yeah. have they dispatched people to kill Luke Skywalker. And is this how he's going to go out mm. being smashed to smithereens by a TIE fighter? No, he's just having a stroke. Yeah, they'll, they'll lay a brush it out in the special edition. <laughs> oh, God. So you're not alone, B Curl 80. Uh, brilliant question from At Grey. Deeply philosophical question. Does it even matter how good a film is if it contains a James Corden cameo? Remind me who James Corden was? Uh, he's the um, the guy who hosts the t- TV shows. I don't know who he was in this, but <laughs> no, he apparently is in the film. I, I, is he? I know, because like, the princes were stormtroopers when they get arrested yeah. on the, yeah. the, the, the Superstar Destroyer thing. Um, A friend Chris, of mine, Chris Martin is as well. Tom Hardy's in there somewhere. Yeah, he? he's and I think he's in the same sequence as well. I think all four of them are in that bit. Now, I've heard this secondhand, but a friend of mine lives in Japan, and he says, when he saw the film in Japan, that there is a scene in the in the Japanese cut that isn't in our cut as a scene where Finn, DJ and Rose get into a, an elevator on no this is apparently serious I thought they were going to do carpool karaoke <laughs> they, yeah they do karaoke yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that'd be, nice. that'd be like Star Destroyer karaoke and uh, they get into a lift on the uh, Star Destroyer and a bunch of stormtroopers get in and one of them recognises Finn and goes oh hey Finn how's it going oh you've been promoted that's good to see and he thinks that that I don't know why that wasn't uh, in our version. And he thinks that was Tom Hardy. It's possible he's. I know that scene was shot uh, yeah. because I I was expecting that to be in there because I'd read about it from way back. Uh, so yeah, it's conceivable it's in that cut. I find that hard to believe that there's that cut in a jam. I can see they'll recut it for China, but for Japan, yeah. it's, it's it doesn't make any sense to me. So I, um, like I said, I'm getting the second hand. But yes, I know that is a sequence that was filmed. Um, speaking of uh, obscure. Um, Cameos, etc. Uh, the shuttle pilot who's who's on Kylo Ren's ship uh, during the attack on Crate, the guy who says right away, sir, after he force chokes Hux, um, that is Michael Gibson, um, who is the current King George the Third in Hamilton in wow. London. So, oh, Jesus, hashtag force for Ham. We have made the connection. Come on. You may not continue your regularly scheduled oh. program. And a joy to see Adrian Edmondson. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. How good was that? Not even so a cameo, good. it's a proper role. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Kate Dickey just turning up for yeah. no reason as well. Kayla Coyle, just yeah. great stuff. Adrian Edmondson as Captain Peavy. Yeah, uh, I think Ryan Johnson's a big anglophile and he clearly likes uh, British comedy. As we, as we know from the yes. interview, he loves, he loves, he loves, he a loves bit bottom, bottom. And, the, and young ones. Who doesn't love a bit of bottom? And... Uh, 
for example, you're right, Michaela Cole uh, from Chewing yeah. Gum is in there for like one shot. Yeah. And also uh, one of Haldo's advisors is, and he doesn't say anything, yeah, he's, he's Fleabag's boyfriend. Yeah, and he's Will from uh, 20, 2020. So there's a, this film contains a grand tradition of Empire and First Order uh, officers being utterly incompetent. Yes, and but comedy as well. Comedy, yeah, imperial officers. That's I enjoyed that. Yeah, that absolutely. Wonderful. And I think uh, Captain Peavy, who of course is played by Adrian Edmondson, I'd like to see him come back because uh, having watched it again and having been told to do so by Rand Johnson, look out for Adrian Edmondson in the background, and he's on, he's rolling his eyes constantly at everything Hux says. <laughs> <laughs> Hux is just brilliant at being. Awful. Like, he's the worst. He he's is the, the worst. absolute he worst. He is the worst. He's sneery and backstabbing. He's going to give Ren so many problems in the next film. I'm just, I'm just delighted with him. He's, he's the worst. But I yeah. love that he gets... he didn't really register in Force Awakens, did he? No, he and, but he's, really... he's really hammed up in this one, much yeah. more so than in that one. Like, really? the first bit with Snoke when he just drags him around the floor and breaks his nose. Yeah. And then the bit where he's saying to Ren when he's saying, I'm going down there, he's like, Supreme Leader, don't get distracted. He just throws him against the wall. Yeah. Poor Hux. I think he's exactly the same level of sneery as the last one, I have to say. He didn't choose the Hux life. The Hux <laughs> life chose him. <laughs> Is that line from your piece? Probably. I'm yeah. a hack. What <laughs> can I tell you? <laughs> uh, I really liked Captain Kennedy in this. Captain uh, mm-hmm. Kennedy is apparently a reference to the, uh, the 2002 horror film May. Uh, that's the surname of the, the, main, the, the main character. I like his sneer. His snarl of defiance as he's about to die. That's a nice that's a nice defiant snarl. But I like Hux. I like Hux a lot and I like the dynamic he has with with uh with Kylo, with oh. Ben. Yes. We on our way down to see this film, Jimbo, you said that you thought Hux would not make it through the film. And yes. you, you thought he would you thought he would die very quickly in the film. I think I realise why now, because I talked to both him and Driver about the relationship between Ren and Hux, and they were both quite evasive. Obviously, being now because Ren's trajectory, I think, is actually what they were trying to hide rather than... I thought they were just covering up for the fact that Hux lasts five minutes and he dies. But I think it's just... Because I was talking about the, you know, the power structure, because they're both heads of... They are both at the top of their respective branches of the First Order. Mm. But obviously, by the end of it, that's not the case. Uh, it's a lovely moment when Hux almost seizes his chance because they have a really big... Yeah, and he reaches for his blaster. He reaches for his blaster, <laughs> thinks, this is my chance, I'm going to do it. And then he's away. oh no, hey, everything's good, everything's good. <laughs> he is funny. Uh, so I'd expect to see that paid off uh, at some point in the next one. Um, all right, here's another question. This is from at Santhus24, who really hated the film and sent about a dozen angry questions in. And we're only going to take one from each person now. And this question boiled down uh, the whole Finn and Rose arc is pointless. I think we talked about that. It is mm-hmm. not pointless. But here's a question that a lot of people have asked. Had Holdo simply told Poe the evacuation plan, none of it would have happened. No one would have, would have been a danger in a useless mission. And maybe they could have actually done something useful to help out. There is no valid explanation as to why Holdo never told uh, Poe. Uh, yes, uh, there is. I'm, I'm 100% with Helen and I will let you answer this. But can <laughs> I just say, can I just say, there is no need for her to explain it to a subordinate officer just because he's a man. That's exactly what I was going to say. There is absolutely no reason why she should be forced to explain herself to some bloke just because he thinks he knows better. Yeah. It is his job to sit down, shut up, and let the person in charge be in charge. And it is so bloody typical that a man will allow one woman to be in charge. It's like, okay, well, Leia. I'll take orders from Leia. That's yeah. fine. She's special. But, like, in general, no. Women bosses, never. And it's just so irritating on his part. And it is such a good thing that he learns better. And also, by the way, watching it again and again... <laughs> 
It is really, Holder's performance, obviously Laura Dern is brilliant in everything, but she's very brilliant in this because very you brilliant. can, very brilliant. Let because, me learn you something big. Very yes. brilliant. <laughs> because <laughs> you can, you can absolutely read her as a traitor and as a slightly, you know, an element of cover up in those scenes if you're as paranoid as he is in, on a first watch. And when you watch it back, you will see that she, she is doing exactly what she needs to do and he needs to sit down and shut up. And while we're talking about people not telling other people stuff they need to know, he doesn't tell her about his side mission either. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know... Which in many ways actually is treasonous. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I think she... I think, I, I think it's to the rebellion, sorry, the resistance's credit that he is not immediately clapped in irons. Yeah. I think it speaks to his um, the high regard in which they hold him and their, their high regard of his skills and also their security in themselves that they are just going to do what they want to do and they don't have to wait for his approval. She uh, has that lovely... Holder has that lovely moment with Leia, doesn't she? Yeah. Such a great like scene. So great. Such yeah, a great scene. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, God. Could I just say, having having called out Den of Geek on our last regular podcast and given them <laughs> shit for their Beyond Skyline review, I will say they had a really, really good editorial written about how The Last Jedi is an interesting uh, position on toxic masculinity where it features a lot of men trying to mansplain things to women who frankly know a lot better than they do. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just well worth a read. Though, it? it is just films, but it was <laughs> very well articulated. Piece, so I recommend it. It is true. And uh, Finn exactly trying to take credit for Rose's plan from Rose, for example, at yeah. another point. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. There's a really interesting moment where Finn tries to take credit for Rose's plan oh, from Rose. I don't know if you guys... You can see that formulating in your head. I was trying to do it earlier on, but Helen <laughs> talked to such length that I couldn't replicate everything she said. <laughs> The worst. Um, uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. But Poe Dameron's really interesting in this film. I think yes. he actually, uh, he steps up, I would say, from being fifth or sixth banana in Force Awakens to being more important to the story than Finn, which is really mm. interesting. And as much as we talk about there is a point to the Finn and Rose storyline and there is, you know, it's not completely uh, pointless deviation, a detour. I do wonder if Ryan Johnson knew exactly what to do with Finn. No, I agree. And I don't know that he did. It, it, it does feel a little bit like he couldn't find a way to... Or either he doesn't have affection for the character or he just couldn't find a work it into the story he wanted to tell. Mm. Um, but I'm I, when when Finn comes to his great sacrifice moment, I was disappointed that Rose derailed it. I actually think that would have been... you know I, was, I wouldn't have been sorry to see that character go because I don't think he added a lot to the film. And I actually think that would have been a nice moment, although in many ways it would have been replicating what Holdo had just done and taken away from also, that. Also, it's the yeah. implication amplification of this idea of failure yes every, every, yeah. every kind yeah. of thing they try in this it, film it they fail at which might be why some of the people have kind of don't like it very much yeah. it's just a downer yeah. 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 Lucas, Lucas recovering from a massive failure yeah. uh, Poe fails at the beginning of the movie he wins a minor victory but mm. you have that shot for example Pyrrhic of Leia victory. looking at the it absolutely yeah. is Pyrrhic and uh, Leia looks at the um the casualties the list, yeah, yeah. Right. and we've lost our entire bombing fleet, and for what? And he's like, "Yeah, you've yeah. done a dreadnought, dude." Yeah, yeah. Finn yeah. and Rose do fail ultimately. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the but caretaker they... loses her pram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chewie fails in his attempt to eat some porgs. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Losers. Chewie, yeah, Chewie's much thinner when he gets off that <laughs> island than he, <laughs> than he is when he arrives. But give a, po- a Wookiee a fish. Yeah. That's what you need to yeah. do. And people got to stop thinking of Poe as a as Han Solo light. I think they're trying something different with yeah, the character. He's not doing that space cowboy thing. He's being something else. He's Johnson's character though, because he didn't really have a character in the Force Awakens. There was very yeah. little to him. Yeah. Well, of course, he wasn't. You know, the, the J.J. Abrams comedy reveals that he 
died initially mm. in the Force Awakens, and they yeah. liked when he cr- when they crashed land on Jakku, yeah. he was meant to die, and uh, they liked him so much they they kept him around. I think that shows because he doesn't really do a lot in the last yeah. half he of has Force Awakens. But in this one, he he really grows, and I'm really intrigued to see and where I he goes. I think it is good that he's been sort of he's not not just been groomed for leadership, but actually. Um, learned what he needs to learn to be a leader. Um, But there's a really interesting moment, actually, whenever Leia gets incapacitated and they're talking about who's going to take over and they go, the chain of command is clear and there's only one choice to, to lead us. And you see him actually begin to get up like going, well, obviously it's me. It's got to be me, right? And then they go, and this fights Albert Holdo and he sits back going, oh... And for me, that's him Him going, his ego is so great at the beginning of the film. He goes, I am the great Poe Dameron. I am the hero yeah. of this battle. I, of course, I'm going to be the leader of the resistance. And then he gets, yeah. uh, and it's about hubris, and he learns eventually from those knocks. It's all about hubris, actually, this film, isn't it? Because everybody is um, sort of misconceived in their in their beliefs. Um, you know, Ray is convinced she can single-handedly essentially save, save Kylo. She cannot. Um, Kylo is convinced that he can and Luke and and the resistance Mm -hmm, in one fell swoop mm -hmm. he cannot uh, everybody has to learn better and I think that is again that's part of this reset of the sort of psychology of the of the Star Wars universe and that's why I was saying to you last night um, um, that this is the sort of the winter soldier of this of this franchise in a way it's 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 taking things you thought you knew and and flipping them slightly and forcing you to reconsider you know you think that S.H.I.E.L.D. are the good guys uh, you think that the resistance are the good guys. What if it's a bit more complicated than that? And what if there are problems and compromises that have been made that mm. undermine a little bit of that goodness? And maybe you need to kind of have a come to Jesus moment and reconsider, go back to basics, reconsider everything you thought you knew, if you will, mm. and and reconsider that this may not go the way you think. Unlearn what you have learned. Exactly. Let me, let me unlearn you something big. <laughs> I love that line. Let me learn you something big. Learn you something big. Uh, all right, a couple of uh, questions. Here's one from at Dixon of G. Dyke. Would the team agree that Snoke was wasted as a villain? And again, this echoes something I've had mm-hmm. from a lot of people. By being killed off without any clues as to his backstory and motivation, uh, while the scene where he was killed in the subsequent fight with his guards was superb. And includes yes, for me yes. the best lightsaber moment in the entire saga. God, yes. get thee behind me! Uh, I felt they missed a trick that could have turned him from an average to an excellent villain. Uh, before you guys weigh in, I will say I am glad that Snoke is dead. I will piss on his ashes. <laughs> I, I am too, and and I think so. One of the, I think one of the problems with modern blockbusters um, is giving too much attention to villains. Um, not that. They shouldn't have any, and I think there's a lot to be said for having a villain who's complex and whose motives you can sometimes understand and where you can kind of see where they're coming from and even have some sympathy for them in a lot of ways. I think that's something that, in large part, George Lucas is actually responsible for with his humanisation of Darth Vader. But at the same time, not every bad guy needs this build-up and this sort of layering and this sort of, oh, it's not his fault, he had a bad burrito once and that turned him... (laughs) Like, it's... There's... I, I don't always need to know. Some people are just bad. Some people are just yes. good. Get over it and let's move on. Yeah. Shark and Jaws didn't have a backstory. <laughs> just kill people. Should have had. Goldfinger, yeah. love gold. Get on with it. I. I, 
I, I, I really like that, that they don't feel the need to explain it. And it's funny, I asked Johnson this question when I was talking about him, how he separates Snoke from Palpatine. And he was saying he liked the fact that in Empire, Palpatine was exactly what he needed to be. He was this mm-hmm. dark force. And he kind of lamented a little bit the fact that you get this retcon backstory throughout the prequels. He's like, I like that he was there to do a job. He did that job. And mystery was part of his power. You didn't need to know that he had a bad childhood. We don't need to know that it's Mike Snoke from downtown Coruscant. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, no one needs that stuff. Mike it's like, Snoke. I think... He he was exactly what he needed to be. He's a dark force. He has helped assemble the First Order. He's set Kylo Ren on a dark, very conflicted, very ambiguous path. Mm-hmm. And now he's a little bit tedious and two-dimensional when held next to a character as complex as Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And to fully explore Ren, you need him to be out of Snoke's shadow. So mm-hmm. yeah, he did exactly what we'd all done and cut him in half. And, and also, having a run for a third film does make it a little bit too much again, like yeah. the beats of the, of the original trilogy. Keeping him around just as you did the Emperor. Well, mm-hmm. we've, we've seen that already. Let's, yeah, what cool. would have happened if Vader were in charge? Yeah. That's much mm-hmm. more interesting. But Johnson does really interesting things where he sets up beats that seem like they're from Empire and Jedi. I talked and about it a little bit. Them. Subverts them. So mm-hmm. we talked about a little bit with the Luke and, and Rey relationship. Subverts that. And here you go to a throne room and there's a guy on the throne who's pontificating just like the Emperor is yeah. uh, in, in Jedi and you expect it to go the same way and it doesn't. It ends with being cut in half and I love little grace note, well, dark grace note of his hand you see this, his left hand remains on the yeah, throne with the yeah. ring yeah. <laughs> with the, with it's the lovely ring, uh, which is really interesting and some people have said how can Kylo keep his true intentions hidden from Snoke and I think well Kylo is a little bit a little bit cleverer yeah. than, uh, than but Snoke he's projecting isn't it like he's projecting what he's going to do to one thing while doing Precisely. the other thing at the yes. same time Precisely. Snoke is only seeing the one track Correct. it's very smart yeah it's really good really. Uh, and it leads to that great fight yeah can I just say because I couldn't say this in a review that's the best thing in the film that's fantastic. It I is so good. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I love... And that, that, sorry, throne, that throne room, which was inspired by my bedroom. <laughs> actually, I think it's from Kurosawa, I believe it's the Kurosawa influence mm. in there. It's, that, that whole... When they turn in slow motion and start fighting, that's thrilling. That's yes. top yes. Star Wars. There are some beautiful yeah, bits. Amazing. It was amazing. I love the set design in there. Could I just say the way it's a huge sort of glass-walled throne, but it's draped in those big velvet drapes. And yeah. during the fight it gets ignited. So gradually they burn up and you start to see the star field behind it. And then also there's bits of falling material like raining down yeah. around them all the way through. All practical instantly, not CG. I mean, it's, it's magnificently put together. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. A, it's a great fight. And, and again, some people have quibbled with the fact that uh, Snoke's guards give uh, Kylo, who's incredibly powerful, uh, Jedi? Sith? What would you call him? Whatever Force he is. User. Force user. Force user. And, and Rey, of course, is very powerful as well, although burgeoning in her, mm. in, her, in her powers, nascent in her powers. They give him a good old fight. Well, of course they do. Snoke is also hugely powerful, but he still has guards around. You'd imagine that they're not just first week no, on the job coppers. You know, these are the I best of the best. If I was Praetorian guard and Snoke was dead, I thought, fuck this. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to the job centre. I'm going to the canteen. <laughs> I'm going to get something else to do. I think it's a, I think it's a great moment. And, I, and again, you see, he subverts the expectations at the end because yeah. you think the minute that Kylo mm-hmm. and, and Rey team up, well, this is it. Kylo yeah. is, has yes. made his choice. You realise that all along... And I think it is all along. I don't think there's any conflict. In I agree. Him. I think he's making a power grab right from the off. Uh, and it's a, it's a very interesting direction for this character to take. Although, as Johnson says, he gives him the benefit of the doubt that when he's communing with Ray, he's not necessarily manipulating her. They do have some kind of... There's something there. Mm-hmm. I but agree. I think when he kills Snoke, I don't believe he's being altruistic, no. Yeah. I, think, I think at that point, he's been like, do you know what? Let's, let's that, do this. That whole scene up in the elevator, the whole thing, he's, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. 
But it's, you can kind of tell that first tell is that he looks down upon her when she's in the pod and he just turns and walks away. And it's a bit like he has a larger plan at that point. He's yeah. like, mm. okay. But there, there is a connection, though. There is a, yeah. there is a sympathy. And, I think and he, he wants her to turn, mm, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he does. Absolutely. He wants you know, he, he He doesn't. I think he's surprised when she doesn't. Mm. I think he's done it. I think he thinks he's done enough work in the. Yeah, compromise. <laughs> yeah, that she will. She will go with him. And and again, it's about that idea that he's not a Jedi. He's not a Sith. He's something else. Mm. And she is something else. And they're and they're going to forge this new world order together. Uh, and the best lightsaber moment is the moment where she throws a lightsaber to him, oh, and he just ignites amazing. it once. And amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That for That's, me is yeah. the most inventive use for lightsaber in the, in the saga so far. <laughs> yeah. So well, was, and there's I a few was, in that. I was series. hoping that the Porg was going to step on it. It does. If you look at the art of the Last Jedi book, there is a storyboard of one Porg stepping on it and then the blade igniting and impaling another one through the head. Oh, oh man! Um, but clearly they thought that's a bit dark. <laughs> isn't it? But it is. There is art of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, that'd be a five star right there. Uh, here's a good one from at Glingo One. Where are the Knights of Ren and who are they? And Johnson did talk about this, yes. didn't he, a little bit? But because uh, he was so he long ago, I forgot about making the Praetorians the Knights of Ren, but yes. then thought that added too much to of a me, dimension. To me, they're the biggest waste yeah. of space. Yeah. Well, all this talk about the, the Knights of Ren, the, the Knights, Knights of, of Ren. Ren. What, what have they done? Hopefully, Episode Nine will be the time. Off looking for the Holy Grail, I guess. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I actually thought they were the Praetorian Guard uh, initially as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, we'll, I, we'll see, I guess. I think he made the right choice to just sideline that because mm. it's, it's a complicating factor he didn't need. Several people have asked whether there's going to be a time jump, whether we think there's going to be a time jump between uh, 8 and 9 to allow the resistance to grow as there's currently about 12 people in the Falcon, including Neen Num, who survives. Yes. <laughs> he's, uh, he's in that final shot of the, of the Rebels at the end. And for Broom Kid and others like him to grow up and become potential Jedi, that is the question from at Ken Davies underscore one, but it's actually from a lot of people. I, I don't think it'll be enough for those kids to grow up. Six months, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're talking months, not years. Mm. I think... Um, Time for Ray to practice a bit, probably. Um, presumably, sadly, time for Leia to die in between. Well, I wonder whether she will or not, because I'm I'm fairly convinced someone said quite early on that they would they weren't planning to kill her in the film. I wonder. I think it was John Boyega actually, so maybe he doesn't even know uh, that they discussed it and they thought it was a nice idea to have her sort of continue to exist somewhere in the Star Wars universe, just not on. Oh, screen. that would be good. Uh, and I, I'd almost prefer that because without Luke being yeah. in this one, there's no need to drag her into the story. It's not her story anymore in many ways, so I don't think it's a problem. It's a Paul Walker ending in Fast 7. Exactly that. He and jo- uh, she and Jordana Brewster will drive off. Or living uh, on a beach somewhere. Exactly. Well, I, I like that idea, actually. But um, but either, even so, you still need to establish where the, where the resistance now is and, and what yeah. stage they're at and who's in charge. Yeah. Okay, here's a question from Jamie Bolton, 1992, which relates to what we've just talked about with Kylo a little bit. Um, does a pod think that while the whole redemption corruption arc for Kylo and Rey was the best part of The Last Jedi, it's basically ruined by Kylo's instant flip back to being the villain? It felt that they had built this great murky middle ground only to revert back to where we were at the start of the movie. Is this one of the downfalls of having different directors directing different movies? No. And end question. I, I, don't, I don't think that. I think it's great. I think it's great that they kept us guessing. I think it's great that I, per, I for one, am still guessing mm-hmm. about what's going to happen with that character, and I welcome it. Thoroughly. He's not a stable guy. He's it, really not. There's the, the moment where Luke appears, the, the projection of Luke appears, and he goes, I want you to blow that guy 
out of the car! And he just, out of the sky! And he just, fire everything! Fire everything! And he just goes completely nuts. Oh! And <laughs> it is, you think we got Hey, him? Chris, he is a very stable genius, okay? <laughs> but yeah. that's the thing. Very it stable. Is. Obviously very tempting to see every bad guy in every Hollywood film right now as Donald Trump in a, in a, in a, in a, in a costume, but... There are very Trumpian overtones to Kylo Ren. There are. And do you know what, as well, that what I was saying earlier about the resistance having to sort of come back to Jesus and, and re-establish itself as something that is for something and not just against something, that is also uh, has parallels in American politics That's right, right the now. The Democrats could take a leaf out of that playbook. With the Democrats. <laughs> so they're, they're absolutely, you can, you can make all those parallels should you so wish. But Kylo Ren does not deserve to be compared in any great depth. He does unleash fire and fury on uh, the hologram yeah. of yeah. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. I'm saying he deserves better. He is a million times smarter, for one, even Force, if he is... Force and fury, a tell-all tale from inside, yeah. from inside Kylo from Ren's inside Star Destroyer. first order. Yeah. <laughs> um, By I love Captain the, Phasma. I love that moment where, where Luke's sort of force projection comes out and just dusts off his shoulder yes. when he comes oh, out yeah. of it. That was marvelous. hilarious. Yeah, so good. So good. That's the spark that will... Light the that will stir the tea bag that will that will boil the milk that will burn down the first order. Uh, okay, we don't have a lot of time. I'm going to race through some questions. Um, uh, I don't see one here, but um, Captain Phasma. Lots of people asked about her. Uh, is she dead? Uh, hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. She had a really cool costume, but there was nothing else to her. I mean, Gwendolyn Christie, yeah. who is a very talented actress, got essentially nothing to do beyond voice work, and so be it. Yeah. She's gone. She should have died in a Force Awakens. It's like. No way she could have got a trash compactor. It was but the fact you don't see a dire suggests that they're giving room for her to come back. Yeah. Oh, come no. on. She was super she dead fell this into time, a, surely. An inferno. Well, you, yeah, you didn't see a die. Well, we didn't see Han Solo die a... in, that, in that way. Yeah, <laughs> we, don't yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't see a body, you know. Yeah, yeah. She so, fell into an explosion, yeah. and also, I think at this point, she's just she's, she's just, just it's not a very good character. Yeah. Like, she's like, let's be honest, Boba Fett. She's Boba Fett. She's got a cool yeah. outfit, and everyone's like, "Oh, I love her." She's got a cool outfit, but Get there's nothing else to her. So let's all move on and forget Boba Fett as well. <laughs> Get him dead. <laughs> uh, Brewy underscore Chris uh, asks, "Are you guys excited with the severing of ties with the old in this film?" We've discussed that, but uh, they go on to talk about Ray's parents being nobody if. That's true. Solid decision. Instead of from the true, Skywalker yeah. bloodline. And as I mentioned to Ryan Johnson in the interview, that's interesting because Lucas obviously intended this to be the story of Anakin Skywalker and the Skywalker saga. Yeah. And we expected that to be the case for 7, 8, 9. And obviously Ben Solo is still yeah. of Skywalker blood. Yeah. But Ray, it appears definitively, is not. Good. No, you can't have a, a, a mythology where everyone in the galaxy is related. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, and also, it, it means that there, you know, if there is a sexual <laughs> frisson between yeah, Ray and, and Kylo. Um, mm. I, I, I thought this was a good move. I like the idea that he said he wrote down all the permutations of who her parents can be and couldn't make any of them work and just went, oh, do you know what? Fuck this. Yeah. Uh, and just said, get rid of it. And I thought, you know, bold. Yeah. Bold move. Very sensible. Yeah. Avoid hokiness. Um, just to be clear, is th- is this not the first time we've had flashbacks in the Star Wars universe? Because in Force Awakens, didn't she have a flashback to her parents leaving? That's, her? A, that's a vision, isn't it? That's that a vision. flashback. So it's, okay. The Force it's, back, it's in, isn't it? It's in uh-huh. the Force back. Yeah. All right. So, ten, yeah. I mean, but since I mean, since this is a, a a sort of a series that's stolen a lot over the years from Kurosawa, surely we can also steal from Rashomon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Also, yeah. just just on a slight point of pedantry. Sorry. Oh god. If, if she was sold to Uncar Plutt for drinks money, then why doesn't he still own her, and why isn't she a slave? Maybe she was left as collateral for a loan 
rather than sold outright. But then if they're in a pauper's grave, presumably they never paid it back. So, you know. Yeah. Just saying. Maybe there are rules on collateral that we don't know about. Maybe he gave them one half portion <laughs> in exchange for her. <laughs> That's a good point. I'm like, um, who could her parents possibly have been? It, it doesn't work. Han? No, we know it's not Han. Couldn't have been Luke. Mike Snoke. Mike Snoke from... <laughs> Downtown yeah, Coruscant. Yeah, from Palpatine Street in Coruscant. <laughs> so it, it couldn't be anyone. Chewbacca? She's not hairy enough. No. I do love Chewie, and I like that Chewie got a couple of good moments in this mm. movie. Well, we're uh, talking about Ray. I thought Daisy Ridley was immeasurably better than she was. Yeah. In so did I. I felt when great. one of the things she said is that she couldn't, like, she, she watched The Force Awakens a number of times because she went to a number of premieres. She said she couldn't enjoy the film because she was obsessed with how terrible she thought she was in the film. And I think that's perhaps a bit yeah. harsh, but yeah. she, yeah, she was far less wooden. She was a lot better in this one. Yeah, she was. At legend underscore Mark Two. Never know when the undersold. In my opinion, this film has the best score of any Star Wars film. Get um, out mainly of it. through its use of the characters' motifs. Where does this score rank for you? Who is this guy again? Legend Mark II. Does he have II. an address? Can we go around there? Why? That, 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 I I'm, I'm lost for words at how wrong that <laughs> statement is. It is definitely not the best Star Wars score. It is better than the score for Rogue One. I will absolutely give him that. Uh, but no, absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with it. But I would say in terms of like new light motifs or new moments, I didn't think there was anything truly memorable. And the best movement in this is a piece of music fucking recycled from the first Star Wars, which is the TIE Fighter Attack, which is also one of my favourite bits of music. Uh, I'm just saying. I really like the music in this. But I didn't really think that the yeah there were obviously new themes in the Force Awakens. They didn't really connect with me, but in this movie they did. But they the same thing, Ren's music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, like, but yeah. their themes being progressed. And Rose got a, a lovely. Yeah, motif. Rose got a lovely theme. Really, yeah, yeah. that's very malleable and can work in different yeah. ways. Hmm. In uh, as someone who worships John Williams, what, what's your take? Yeah, on I, it? I don't know about where you, where you'd rank it, but I thought it was really rich, and there, there, was, there was tons to get your teeth into. Yeah. Um, in Canto Bite, there's a nice um. A little callback to William's theme from the Long Goodbye, the Robert Altman movie. Oh, I missed really? that. Yeah, so you kind of it's a little nice. porty little melody. So that, that, that was really cool. That's interesting. Um, oh, that was great. Yeah, that's and actually the, um, the critic, the music critic for New Yorker, Alex Ross, has wrote a brilliant piece about the, mu- the music in the film. So people should check that out. Oh, yeah. but oh. are we? Is anyone here saying that it's better than the score for Empire Strikes Back no. or Star Wars? No. No, but like, no. like name a score that is. It's, no, no, that's it's pretty yeah, difficult. Well, yeah, 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 that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, Empress Strikes Back is pretty much the pinnacle of it all. But, I prefer but, the score to Star Wars, but, actually. Really? Mm. You're an idiot. <laughs> You're an imbecile. Thank you. You just ruined my, our friendship. But what this movie does, more than any other movie, now there's so many themes, there's so many motifs to, to draw upon, and it just bombards you with them constantly. And because Luke is in the film, it allows you to have... Yeah, and uh, and they do give you the warm and fuzzies, I think, whenever you whenever you hear those themes. Mm-hmm. So, so there. Right, we don't have a, a lot of questions left, because we've answered quite a lot of the stuff already. Um, Good, because we're running out of time. We are running out of time. At Neil Cobain, where the fuck is Lando? We don't know. He's, he's, it could have been doing anything. It's near the CO. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good lord. <laughs> oh, my word. word. I, I apologise. He's five months away in Solo, a Star Wars story opening May 2015. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, anything could have happened to Lando in the intervening 30 years. Mm. And again, it makes the universe very small if he's gambling on Cambo Cantor, yeah. right, isn't it? It makes, it? it makes everything feel like Coronation Street. <laughs> 
had a couple of people asking this, uh, why they think there's a disconnect between critics and fans on this one. Now, I think the fan backlash is not as big as you think it is. I think it's roughly yeah. equivalent to those 13 people standing outside Warner Brothers asking for the Snyder Cut to be released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, sorry, go on, I wouldn't say it's, it's that small, but I mean, I would point out that the cinema score for the film is an A, which is pretty high. It's the same as the last two. Um, so the general audience does seem to be a lot happier than, for example, the Rotten Tomatoes audience um, and, uh, and perhaps a little bit more in line with the critics. Um, so maybe it is. I don't, maybe it's a, a matter of expectation. Maybe it's a matter of how strongly you feel with that emotional tie, not just to Star Wars, but to certain expectations of of what a Star Wars film can and should be. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I also think that critics uh, are suckers, including myself, we're suckers for a, a directorial tone of voice and and a vision and that kind of thing. So I think that might that might count for it. But isn't it also? It's I think the objections are purely emotional, and I think the critics try a good critic tries and be yeah. slightly objective and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, rather than taking all their emotional baggage in with them, and I think the people who have reacted against this, it, it is a visceral thing. It's not a, it's not an objective yeah. appraisal. I was dying for Kathy Kennedy to come out and say, "Well, we made this for the critics, actually." <laughs> <laughs> Things no one will ever say. Wow, no, um, she didn't. <laughs> that's right, isn't it? About uh, a little bit, maybe about the emotional reaction, which is not to say that critics don't completely disagree all the time on on reasons why we love or hate something. Molly's going, but. Um, don't get me started my point is people have said it's too fast and too slow as reasons that they hated it they've said it's too dark and too funny as reasons that they hated it you know it it doesn't there's no there's no central criticism that anyone seems to be able to make of this film apart from the canto bite sequence which we we, which we've discussed a bit um which nobody seems to like or out of those who don't like the film all of them seem to agree that they didn't Mm. like that bit but yeah, there, there's no sort of coherence on what exactly it was. Okay, with, with every big film, there's people who think it's the greatest film ever made, yeah. people who think it's the worst ever film made, and there's every shade of view in, in, in between, between, isn't yeah. there? All right, let's bring this baby home by placing the, the Last Jedi lovingly in our personal rankings of Star Wars movies. Not counting Caravan of Courage, Battle for Endor, <laughs> and the Clone Wars thingy, animated thingy. Sure. So, of the live-action Star Wars movies that were released in cinemas, where does this place? I said fourth greatest at the beginning. That was partially as a joke, but also I kind of, I think I would put this just after the original trilogy for me. I'm going to go with that. Yep, that sounds good to me. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, (laughs) The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace. I'd actually go almost with that as well, I think James is the best, isn't he? I think you may have nailed it there. <laughs> I think you may have nailed it. I'd maybe switch Sith and Force Awakens. Yeah, it's fine. You'd be wrong, but that's fine. I'd maybe switch the four. And uh, what's Attack of the Clones doing down there? It should be number one. That's a five-star masterpiece. Yeah, sorry, Chris. Um, all right. Well, I thought that was going to take a lot longer to discuss. <laughs> so we've actually got a little bit of time for some other stuff. Um, so, uh, if we didn't get to your question, I will say this because we haven't had time or maybe we've answered your question already or maybe someone else sent in a similar question and we chose theirs first. So so that's why maybe your question wasn't read out. Now, someone did ask, and I'm trying to find it, that do they think that the, the moment where Holdo attacks the fleet by going to hyperspace is mm-hmm. the best visual moment of the saga? It's gorgeous. I can't find the question, so I don't know who asked um, it. A couple of things on this. First of all, if... Uh, shouldn't more ships do that or more weapons do that? Fair, yeah. it, happens, it happens in Clone Wars. It's happened a few times in Clone Wars. So. That's true. Second of all, um, Holdo so is 
like one of only two female Star Wars characters with good hair. Um, I would like to point out because I feel like that's worth mentioning. She's who's, great. Who's looking. the other one? Um, the the other one's actually also in this film. It's Commander Daisy. I think it is. Uh, it's the the blonde lady, Amanda Lawrence, um, with the sort of curly blonde hair. Captain Exposition, I, I believe her other name is. You are deeply unfair to Mon Mothma's pixie cut. It's not bad, but it's not great. And I feel like like Leia has moments of obviously surpassing you know, greatness, but also just some terrible hairdos. Um, and I think that's been true of Amidala, that's been true of Ray, certainly. In fact, she's never had a good haircut. It's true of Rose. So, you know, and Captain, <laughs> Captain Phasma could have had grey hair. We never saw What's it. What's wrong Who with knows? Ray's hair? It's, it's so a, tight and pulled back and wet lack, looking the entire time. It's lacking in imagination, isn't it? Oh, you're lacking in imagination. It's a bit stringy. I mean, you know. Stringy? It's stringy. She has better hair than that. Daisy Ridley has better hair than that. I'm offended on Ray's behalf. Well, that's okay then. Anyway, and also, um, I th- I just really liked Holdo. I-, I loved the relationship we saw between her and Leia in that yeah. one little scene. Um, and and I would want I would watch a buddy comedy of the two of them forever. But the, hi- the hyperspace moment is amazing. The idea that AMC put out uh, stickers on the wall saying that that the film's going to go silent for a minute. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an artistic choice. Is ridiculous, but also points to something how bold it was. Did they? What, yeah. Yeah. Shame on them. Yeah. And the inversion of the palette as well. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, as you say, narratively it makes fuck all sense because if they could do that, they'd have just turned away around one of the little frigates and blown up the whole fleet early on. But, you know, it's fine. It's good. I loved it. Great. Who says the, oh, the little frigates? Yeah, mm. one of the support ones. If you can, you know, if essentially you're turning a ship into a weapon of mass destruction, you'd be like, yep, let's do that. But it's fine, it's fine. Like we say, let's not get hung mm. up on the stuff. Let's not get hung up on mm. it. But then, yeah, but also it's something they've just thought of now because Akbar could have done it with the Death Star and... Yeah. It's a trap! I've yeah. got a great idea! <laughs> <laughs> Concentrate all power! Could have done that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Can I pose it a question, please? Yes. Um, what do we think of Broom Kid? Broom Kid? Well, that's a very good question because he's clearly very important to, to Johnson being the final shot of the film. Um, I think he sweeps excellently, Ian. I think I would implore <laughs> him as a cleaner. We, is that is that his trilogy, do we think? Do we think that's where he's going with this? No. No. I don't know. From, I, don't. I think he's more emblematic of yeah. the, 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 the rise of the force around the galaxy. I think, and I, would I, think. I can say this because I listened to the interview, uh, that he, he wants to get away from the idea that the force is somehow hereditary, that it's somehow passed down. He wanted the idea that anyone can tap into the Force, that it's a thing. It permeates all living things, Ian. Yeah, it does. Uh, well, because as we know, the, you know he, I think it's it's taken that step away from, oh, <laughs> it's the highest density of midichlorians I've ever seen in a being. I think the idea <laughs> of genetics and stuff, no, it's it's a thing that we can all tap into. It's like zen. I think I think it's that. I, I thought it, I thought that was a lovely touch. I thought it was it was an interesting kind of little sort of mm. wistful note at the end. Yeah, I liked it for uh, that as well. Bit of hope. The only thing I don't get is the idea is that Luke gave his life to put on a show that would resonate throughout the galaxy. Who was filming it? Where was it broadcast? It's on the internet. <laughs> Do you know, was someone <laughs> live just, streams? Yeah, one of the one of the stormtroopers was just filming on his phone and just posted it to YouTube because no, like, well, everyone no, saw it. The, the, the resistance were broadcasting the entire time. Were they? Presumably, they were certainly attempting to. Weren't I think they? it's by word of mouth. It's about, it's yeah. about did you hear what Luke Skywalker did? And the and the yeah, surviving yeah. members of the the rebels resistance who whatever. didn't see it because they were all running away. I like that they got like that Leia's contact book and no one came. Yeah, no one came. <laughs> She's like, use my personal code. Oh, that made no difference. <laughs> and you know, and even the first order would be talking about it. Even the the, the yeah. surviving people. Stormtroopers yeah. talk in the canteen. Yeah, they do. They'd be going. Did you see that? Did you hear? You see what Luke Skywalker did? And didn't his beard look mm. great? Yeah. 
Sure. Why did he have a blue lightsaber? <laughs> well, <laughs> he said, I found the pieces of it upstairs and... Anyway, I'm off to use my spice iron now to crease out my costume. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, right, a good note on which to end. That is it for our Star Wars The Last Jedi spoiler special. Join us next time for more spoiler special fun. We'll be discussing Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. Ooh, do you want to be part of that, Ian? You look Ooh. like you want to be in some hot replicant action. Are you replicant <laughs> or a replicant, Ian? What are you? I'm a replicant. Oh my God, he's out, he's out. Uh, that's going to be up towards the end of January. And then after that, all being well, Black Panther will be our next spoiler special after that. Uh, if you want to see us live, why the hell would you? But if you do, we are doing our, our next live show is our 300th episode. We're going to be at the King's Place on February 14th. Yes, it is Valentine's Day, but come on, let's be honest. We're all nerds. None of us have dates. That's just, that's just go. <laughs> just come along and see us. It'll be fun. Tickets are on sale now www.kingsplace.co.uk and then search for the Empire Podcast and do come along and see us and some special guests too. Regular podcast every Friday. If you don't already listen or subscribe, please do so. That's it from me and that's it from us. It's goodbye from Helen. May the force be with you. Ooh. I you stole my line. <laughs> Damn you. It's goodbye from James. Howard. <laughs> Worst R2D2 impression <laughs> I've ever heard. Uh, Arthur D2. Uh, and it's goodbye from Ian Freer. Godspeed, Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to queue up to see Solo, a Star Wars story, which is in cinemas... May 25th. May 25th. May the, may the 25th be with you. Permission to get in the next ring and blow day. something up? Permission granted. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.